Ah. Mama. Mama. We made it. What it, what it, what it do And we're back. Just got done with a incredible prayer. It's crazy when you started off with a prayer like that. I just feel like light is illuminating amongst us. The spirits are smiling upon us. You mm. feel me? Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, we have my brother Benny Cassette in the building. What Benny it Hey, 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 hey. I feel left out. I didn't know the song, but <laughs> Mama, we made it. Hey. Ladies I just saw my mama too, so that's cool. Good timing. And, and that's the exactly. beauty of it. And look, let's take a moment out here and say, ladies and gentlemen, pause the podcast, pick up that phone of yours, call your mother, and tell her you love her, baby. Come you on. did. And we're here. We are here. Benny, I'm so thankful that, that you have graced us with your presence. I think you as a human being are one of the most special people that I've come across. And it's gorgeous how uh, life has it to where two lights can meet one another. For sure, yeah. And there are so many times in people's lives where we pass one another and don't know who each other are, and all it takes is a conversation, which is how we we met. Mm. Um, And, you know, through the years of knowing you and appreciating your craft as a creator, naturally you're one of the most prolific creators in my eyes because, and it shows because of all the work that you put into your craft. And outside of that, as a human being, I believe that your being in and of itself is always, in my eyes, going to shine way brighter than your craft because as a human being, your your being is the vessel for your craft. Mm, for sure. And getting to know you, my brother, you're an inspiration and I can't wait for whoever is listening to this podcast to experience the story <sighs> of Benny Cassette. You did. Man, that, that voice is like a lot of pressure. <laughs> the timber of your voice in that introduction is just like, oh my gosh. That noosh, that noosh. I'm so excited for us to be here. We got Lindsay in the background. What it do, baby? Yeah. We got Eric de los Prados. EGP. <laughs> and with that, let's start here. What was, what was childhood like for you? Where did you grow up? What, where, where did it start? Uh, so I grew up um, what a lot of people would call the east side of Los Angeles, um, uh, which would be between MacArthur Park, Echo Park, and then spending time in Silver Lake mm. as a kid. I live in Silver Lake now. Um, which is very different. It's very different, and yeah. it's um, it's kind of like moving on up, yeah. which, is, yeah. which is cool. But I, um, I grew up in a household that was um, Sicilian and Spanish. Mm. Um, my grandmother was born in Madrid, Spain, and she's the one that primarily raised me. Mm. Um, I spent most time with her as a kid. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood that was primarily Salvadorian and Mexican. And then um, I got bused to schools that were mostly black. Wow. Um, so for me as a kid, you know, I had a bit of an identity crisis because I never knew exactly who I was. I just mm-hmm. knew who I had to become in order to survive in each environment. Ooh, wow. So Whoa. I knew, you know, I knew in my own neighborhood I had to be able to speak Spanglish and know, you know, Spanish slang yeah. and be well versed in yeah. the music and culture of the gangs of that neighborhood. <sighs> and I knew when I got bus to school that I had to figure out how to play ball 
and how to like freestyle on the bus and yeah. how to assimilate to that culture. Absolutely. So in that, because you know, if, if you look at me, people never know exactly what I am. Yeah. They're like you're not, you don't exactly look white. You don't exactly look <laughs> Spanish. You kind of look Italian. You could pass for this. You could yeah. pass for that. So that was also as a kid, it was the same thing. Like people didn't know exactly what I was. So I, I just had to uh, figure out how to, you know, fit in mm. as a kid. And, you know, as a kid, it was it was tough. Um, as I got older, it became a blessing because I was surrounded by so many different cultures and especially so many different types of music. You yeah. know, my um, as a little kid, my my pops was around listening to a lot of jazz um, in the neighborhood. It was all uh you know ranchero and salsa merengue and, yeah. and oldies yeah. and on the bus it was all like rap like la hip-hop and that, rap music that's incredible yeah. so you know so i i became well versed in all these different types of music um so from the onset music was just a very like integral part in in your being you know it was weird because i just felt like as a kid i didn't necessarily have taste. I just kind of learned to like it all. Uh-huh. <clears throat> you know right. what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, I love that. You know, there was things that spoke to me. Yeah. You know, and spoke to like what I was going through. Yeah. Um, you know, because of the kids that I hung out with, I think I felt like I got to experience a lot of things that minorities were experiencing in Los Angeles in the mid nineties up to the early two thousands. Like I experienced a lot of things that kids in the suburbs in Los Angeles didn't experience. No, yeah, you're right. You know, like getting your ass whooped by the LAPD, you know, like, I don't know if that would have necessarily happened to me if I was out by myself, but when I was out with my friends, it always happened to us, you know what I mean? Or getting arrested, like the kind of things that necessarily I could probably could have avoided, but because of the people that I was around, um, I ended up experiencing those things, which obviously at the time seemed awful, but then in retrospect allowed me to have a window into this whole other part of Los Angeles because yeah. of the way that I grew up and the yeah. things that I experienced. Uh, it's like completely contributed to what I'm doing musically now Absolutely. and artistically now. So, you know, that being said, um, growing up with my grandmother, you know, she only really spoke Spanish to me and listened to her music and had her form of thinking. And so I, I really had a bond with her where, um, Everything I did, I was always trying to to really please her mm. and, and trying to make sure that she was proud of me. Even when I was getting busted and getting in trouble, I always made sure that she didn't find out yeah. that I got busted. And, um, you know, it's, it's not like it's crazy because even especially when you think of like a grandmother, right? It's not ang- they, they, they won't be angry, but they'll be disappointed. Disapp- oh, my gosh. But that- the disappointment of a grandmother, the disappointment oh. of any parental figure and, or family and their, figure. and their expectations from you are you know it's like my family is basically you know they're immigrants yeah and so they came to this country so their children or child in my case child uh would go to college yeah mm-hmm. and graduate from college and yeah, yeah. get a job as a doctor Had or a lawyer or totally. a dentist you know they didn't come to this country for me to make music yeah, for, <laughs> for, for a living you know what I'm saying they wanted totally. to see me get diplomas and they wanted to see me thrive you know um, in their eyes as what the American dream was mm. you know start a normal business or something along those lines so I think for me it was always a push and pull because as a kid you know I really got into painting you know I started doing graffiti when I was super young I was the kid that knew how to draw on the block yeah. so I was drawing like designing everybody's tattoos and uh, you know really? I was doing, you I were was, the commodity yeah, really? I, was doing, I was doing pieces for, you know I was doing wow. murals and so I got really heavy into painting so for me that was like my artistic outlet as a kid I didn't grow up doing music um 
I, I envy a lot of these guys that I meet that were playing piano since the age of three or four and, oh, they're, yeah. and they're prodigies. I wasn't that kid. I was not musically inclined whatsoever. You know, I listened to a lot of music, but I started music fairly late. Wow. I um, want to talk to you about you growing up and also at the time, were you aware of your identity crisis or is it looking back at it? Because it's like a lot of kids go through that, whether it's Hispanic and then they're in a very predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, but in the east side of Los Angeles, you're dealing with gangs and these subcultures within cultures themselves, and then you're getting bused to a school that's all black. Like, naturally, as kids, we're trying to find ourselves, right? That's, the, that's, the, that's how we, you know, our life is essentially a quest to become and yep. figure out who we are. Who am I, right? At that young age, what was that who am I like for you? Because naturally, you got to fit in as a kid. Naturally, sometimes our choices are made based on who we attached to but what was that like for you in in that just understanding that you were struggling with identity and what who you were I think you know for me I'll say probably from the ages of like five or six all the way up to 15 I had a continuous pit in my stomach really really what was <laughs> that I never really felt completely comfortable in any given environment mm. I just felt like I was always trying to figure it out mm. and always trying to just fit in and do what I had to do and um I was a smart kid like I wasn't like a kid that was just you know ignorant of consequence and, yeah, and, sure. and stupid with those things but I think that I also was somebody that was trying to figure out what acceptance meant and trying to figure out where did I fit in, you know, being multicultural, speaking different languages, going to school with people that looked completely different than me, came from a different environment than me. I think, you know, I started to get comfortable around around people, but there was still always a pit in my stomach as far as like, am I really being accepted or am I just doing what I have to be where I can be viewed as being accepted? Um, and I remember like the first time I really got in a, a big fight and got my ass kicked. What was that and, like? Um, I came out on the other side of it and I kind of felt like, all right. I was like, <laughs> I, 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 I was like, cool. Maybe now, like I'll be a little more comfortable because that's, that's like the worst thing that can happen to you. Like right? when you're hanging out with your friends, I was like, it doesn't get any worse than that. And I feel like after that, I started to get a little more calm because, you know, I think when you're always looking over your shoulder and yeah. worried about stuff, that's kind of where the pit comes. Because yes. you're just like, is somebody looking at me the wrong way? Or like, yeah. well, am I with a group of people? And then you get your ass kicked. You're like, well, that's the worst thing that can happen to me <laughs> yeah. in any situation. So. I'm, I'm still here. Mama, we We're made here. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So, you know, it, it, it was just, you know, it was, it was awesome. I feel like a lot of people that aren't from this city and from L.A. don't really know, like, how big gang culture really was. Yeah, absolutely. Like, in especially, like, mid to late 90s. Yeah. And in your area, too. Yeah, and it was just, it was and big. Like, like, you know, like, I, uh, that's no joke. I always tell people, you know, like the ongoing thing, especially in my neighborhood, you know, was like the essay will walk up to you and be like, Where you from, Holmes? And you'd be like, Nowhere. And they'd be like, Fuck nowhere. And then you know, you, you know you're about to get your ass kicked. Yeah. You can't <laughs> yeah. say anything yeah, to win. You're not going to claim a set and yeah. you're be like, Bruh. Wait, yeah. what was that? Yeah. We bang on nowhere. Yeah, yeah you can't say anything. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then he was just like, "Okay, I don't, you know." Yeah. So is, there was a time in LA where you had to be from somewhere. Like if it was, if you were a gangbanger or a tagbanger or something, a crew, like you had to be part of something. That was just what it was. What and, was that like in that environment? Like where gang culture was so dominant in those areas. 
I like, think as a kid, it's like fuck. Like you have your parents like trying to keep you away from the shit, or your grandmother. Right. right? Then you have the homies. That are, it's like. When we're young, we're so impressionable, right. right? But then there's also times where we know what's right and wrong, right? Right. But in those areas, what was that like to just, as a kid, for you to just know that that gang culture is so dominant and prominent, and you had to like bob and weave around that, like knowing that you yeah. you, you walk down the street, you can get banged on, and there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah, right? yeah I mean, if somebody I'd... in Beverly Hills is gonna walk down the street and somebody say, "Yo," what, where are you from? They'll be like, uh, San Vicente. And, uh, <laughs> uh, well, well sure. the, the other thing that, that happens that's interesting is that your bubble becomes your bubble because I remember even as a teenager going to the Beverly Center or going to Century City Plaza or going to Beverly Hills was like traveling to another country. I feel you. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it felt like every time we would go to one of those places, we'd get busted for something or get in trouble <laughs> because, you know, you, you start to put off that energy because <clears throat> what happens is you get in this mentality of the belong and not belong mm. and you feel comfortable in your bubble, but then as soon as you, you leave that bubble, it's almost like you know you don't belong somewhere. Yeah. And I think the problem that we see with a lot of people in in this day and age or just in general is this concept of where actually do I belong? And I think the great thing, you know, the negative was that gang culture, it does incite violence and there's loss of life and it's, it's scary. The good thing about it is, is it actually unfortunately creates, you know, a twisted sense of family for a lot of, a lot of youth because you have to realize that in these neighborhoods, most kids are growing up without a father most kids are growing up with a mother that could possibly work work in a few jobs and and so that only you know that gang thing is the only thing a lot of kids end up having yeah um if it's like a gang or if it's a graffiti crew or whatever it is like that becomes the fabric of your your upbringing and who you Absolutely. are and um and I think you know that was really where that stemmed from like gang culture became something so for me it was just like regardless of being part of a gang or not it was just it was my neighborhood and and you had a sense of like okay cool like i'm in this bubble yeah, that bu- that bubble is protected by this gang yeah <laughs> and enough. that's what it is yeah it's so funny cuz you realize like uh you know the stigma that people have of uh kids joining gangs mm-hmm. is like oh they're bad kids they're you know uneducated kids they're cri- you know criminals a lot of the time it has nothing to do with that. It's um, like you just said, it's your community around you. And you could, you know, we've experienced people saying like, you know, they're not bad kids. It's just a product of the environment. Yep. Like I either have to survive in this or these are just my friends. My friends happen to be gangbangers and I'm associated with that. I'm not a bad kid, but if someone's going to, you know, want to fight us then we're gonna have to fight if we're right. like it's just a product of where you're from and i, and I think that you know and i as a, as we go on in the story you know i i ended up um we know we'll get into this yeah. but doing gang intervention for me was um you start to see that it's not about just telling kids like you shouldn't be in a gang like you have to provide them another foundation yes. you have to provide them something a else. possibility yeah you have to provide them a possibility and if it's music or at you know it usually ends up being music music or athletics yeah in the hood but like if, if any sort of program that helps kids come out of that you know so i think for me growing up in that environment and where i ended up as a you know as a teenager is really what has fueled my desire to be the greatest artist and producer I can be Mm. because you know, my priorities are not 
necessarily to be famous or to doing these things just to be famous mm-hmm. or to be wealthy just to be wealthy. My priorities are to do that so I can create a sphere of influence and actually like go in and, and make an impact yeah. on yes. the kids that I grew up around that are still going through that. And I feel like a lot of people say that, which is cool, but I think for me, I know how much that journey brought me to this point right now. So for me, like I would like to see other people be able to go on the same journey, end up in the same spot that I'm in, Mm -hmm. because I think that just makes this world that went a a really like fundamentally a better place. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Take us through that journey. So I uh, so so basically I I got caught up and I got in trouble. What does that mean? Uh, (laughs) I got arrested. For, okay. for some stuff and then um i think people knew that i was how old were you then uh i was at that time turning 13 wow so yeah i mean to put that in perspective just for the listeners like 13 years old you're getting arrested like what is that like eighth grade yeah seventh, seventh grade, grade yeah. yeah um well i mean so there was a point in la it's still kind of like that but there was a point in um well Cal- state of california where they were um, throwing people in jail for a long period of time if you got busted with certain types of drugs on you. Mm. So what happened was is they started getting younger kids to carry drugs because if you got busted and you were under 18, then you wouldn't do real time. You would just go to camp Mm. for a few months. And it became a quick way that you could um, make money. And you didn't really understand what you were doing. You just were kind of like, oh, you just want me to take this envelope from... Here, yeah. <laughs> like to there, to there and, yeah. you're, and you're gonna give me five hundred dollars. Like, you know that 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 was like that was like rent for a for yeah. a month. You know what I'm saying? So, so there was a lot of us that got in trouble for doing those kind of things and um and getting sent to camp for a minute. Um and you know, long story short, when I um went away to to camp, um you know, a lot of people go to those things and. They're like, man, it was a breeze, blah, blah, blah. And it's not, man. I was like, I was terrified. Well, it's like take, the scariest. You, <laughs> what was it like? I mean, you know, it's just the difference between a 12 and 13 year old and somebody that's about to turn 18 or just turn 18 is oh. like the difference between yeah. like a baby and a teenager. Straight up. <laughs> you know Straight what I mean? Up. And also like, take us to the moment that when you got arrested, did it become like real for you at that moment? Was that when like the fear struck of like, no, I think I just was, cause I had gotten so good at talking myself out of everything. Uh I I think I was just kind of like, I'll talk myself out of this one. You know, it's not a big deal. Mm. You know, I'd always been able to maneuver. I was, I was a smart ass as a kid. I was kind of the one that instigated all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I was small. I was not a big kid. So I was, always able to talk my way yeah. most of the time out of fights Straight up. or out of getting in trouble. Yeah. You know, I could draw, I could, I could do a lot of these things that would make people look the other way. Yes. It was like little magic tricks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we about to whoop your ass. Be like, I could draw you a new tattoo. <laughs> oh, oh, never mind. Come here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I was always, always that kid. And, and probably the people that work with me now will say there's some elements that are still, like, like still with with me that are like that but, absolutely um, but i think that was you know it was just part of the survival skills that i developed you know i i got good at a lot of things that i knew you know i got really good at one point in playing basketball because i knew that if we were when we were at the park yeah. and like something went down like i could always just ball make it just be like no no that don't mess yeah. with him he's on our team <laughs> straight up you know so like those kind of things like i was absolutely. always thinking like that like what can i do to make sure people look the other way and it's crazy it, when you think about those types of worlds especially like the communities 
like that, right? Where it becomes athletics, it becomes yeah. creative, it becomes all these things. And a lot of these, especially in these areas, like ball is life, right? Yeah. Because you have all of these things like the street surrounding you, but if you're gifted at something, like it, it's wild to look at it and be like, damn, like these kids are looking for an outlet. Yeah. And on, the, only the ones that get it are the ones that are able to become really good at that. For sure. But when you think about it, it's like even in our lives, right? Like you're on a path to make sure that every opportunity you have to create and become greater, you put into it, mm -hmm. right? And looking back at it, at these kids, like they can't, they can't, I don't know if they can think about this specifically, but it's almost the same thing to where I need to be good at this just so that I have a pass in my community. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like these things, like you were able to be the magician and be able to draw and all these things, but for you, you also got really good at them because you knew that was your outlet. Well, and it's also resources. Like, you know, when you grow up in a poor or lower middle class neighborhood, like yeah. what are the things you have around you? A park with mm -hmm. basketball courts, mm -hmm. with a soccer field, with a football field. It's not hard to get spray cans. It's yeah. not hard to get yeah. sketchbooks. You know, it's not hard to learn how to rap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, up. like you do what's immediate to you. It's like I probably am not going to figure out how to do open heart surgery or how to do coding at this point like, <laughs> yeah. in, in, a, in a neighborhood because I just don't have those things around me. Yes. So you kind of just step into whatever is around you. And if you get good at any one of those things, you sort of get a hood pass. Absolutely. You know, and you're yeah. able to navigate because everybody knows, oh, you're the dude that does this or does mm. that. So, so I, you know, I think for me, I just sort of got accustomed to surviving and wheezing my way out of things. So when I actually did have to go to a camp for a minute, you know, it was, that was when it, it got, you know, scary for me. And yeah. And what I, was that like? Can you take us through that, that time period? Like, um, cause you, you, you had thought you were going to talk your way out of it and you didn't. Yeah. You I mean, I, I only had to go for, you know, a couple months. Yeah. Um, it was one of those, we're going to scare you. Yeah. And mm. not, you know, not have you do your, your whole, the whole time you're supposed to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, it kind of comes down to it's, you know, I think in, again, I've never gone to prison. Yeah. Um, or jail for that matter. I've gone to youth camp. Yeah. Which I think is probably, I, I would say it's like prison light. <laughs> yeah. Diet prison light. But it's the, uh, you know, it's the same principle. It's like yeah. everybody has to identify with a certain ethnic group. You know, everybody has to identify to a certain gang. And for me, it was hard because I'm not going to hang out with the white boys necessarily. Yeah. And I'm not really an essay. Even yeah. I grew up around essays and I'm definitely not black. Yeah. So, I, you know, I kind of ended up on the fringes of a lot of these different groups. So, and that's tough to be on the fringes yeah, inside there. So for, for um, the good thing with camp is that you're busy most of the time, or, you know, doing drills and you know, digging holes and filling them back up. Yeah. And you do a lot of this menial labor kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at night, it's, it, it, you know, it's it's scary. Like, I didn't really sleep the whole time just because I was I was scared of the, some of the things that you would hear going on at, at night. So I wasn't one of these people that was like, oh, man, it was like, <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, my mindset was like, as soon as I get out of here, I need to figure something out. And then the mm. second part of that was like, I really hope my grandma doesn't figure out you know what happened here Whoa, wow. <laughs> you know what i mean because she she didn't really know the extent of what was going on she knew i got in some trouble but she didn't really you know oh, she, wow. she thought i was you know getting sent to a special school for <laughs> for some time which i kind of finagled <laughs> to to her and i was just afraid that you know somebody you know somebody would go to the house and talk to her or something along those lines oh, yeah. um so you know, for me, I, I was um, I was definitely 
terrified and definitely you know lost i i had i had started doing a lot of things super young like i started drinking super young and um and smoking super young and you know i, I feel like a lot of things people do when they get to college or when they get to late teens i had already yeah done for a while um it's wild because like you have such a calm energy but like like you're saying now there's a calm after the storm for sure right? and your your being also reminds me of, of one of our past guests and like you know big bro for me Steve Patino yep right because like you see Steve now behind every function there's a form right you see Steve now and he's like angelic and yeah just yeah, like, yeah you don't think that he could ever get mad or when the fuck has he been mad right you know what I'm saying? he just is like suave Latino yeah, but yeah like yeah. got super fresh style but is on some like super namaste we're all good yeah. But you'd never know that from 14 to 20, he was doing acid and right. weed and drinking and like in a haze for days. Yeah. Right. But then life takes us yeah. places and it's like you just make a decision on what your life is. Like, right. Like kids, we think all this like, oh, we party and we doing that. Everybody has their choices. But it's, 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 it's unique for me to see in these communities. Right the cats that come out of it and decide, you know what, like, I'm not going to drink or I'm not going to smoke anymore, all these things because y'all started so fucking young. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it, it's wild because I would have never thought about all these things when I was 13. Right. 14. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, no but chance. What, like, well, I think, you know, to speak to your point, I just, I really feel like, you know, God gives everybody a blueprint. Mm. You know, you're born with this inherent blueprint. Uh, I, I will, I'll say, for lack of a better word, a destiny that you have the potential to fulfill. Yes. And I think one thing that I started to think about at a young age, even at that at that moment or in those dark moments, was what was the point of being alive? Like, <sighs> what is the point of being here? And what? why am I alive? Because, you know, when you don't really have a strong foundation or you feel like the ground has been removed from under you, you start to question why you're here. And I think some people realize, okay, I'm here for a reason and God has put me on this journey yeah. that I'm on and all of this is part of the journey to get to where I need to go. And some people don't realize that and they just keep going into the downward spiral. Yeah. And I think it's very black and white. It's not a gray area. I think, you know, everybody has an amazing potential, but not everybody's able to fulfill it because they don't see clearly that, oh, damn, like I am supposed to be doing something different. So I think... Those of us, including you guys, including a lot of people I know that are doing impactful things now have been on some sort of journey. Sure, yeah. And that journey has been filled with being brought to your knees. That journey has been, been filled with right. heartbreak, with yeah. loss, with because all throughout history, all the greats yeah. have been brought to their knees. No Absolutely. question. Because if you do not experience humility in this world, you will experience it in the world of God and you'd rather experience it here yeah. than in the world of God. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For real. Uh, and so I think for me, that was, you know, there's been three points in my life when I've been extremely humbled, extremely humbled, and that was the first of them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that point in my life was me really being, at, even at a young age, being made to question did I need to be alive? You know what I mean? Like, you know, not am I, you know, oh, I'm going to get out of this, but like, what's, what's the point? Because when you don't exactly know what tomorrow is going to bring, yeah. you start to lose sight of tomorrow, period. Yeah. And you start to bank on the, the pain of the past. No? Yeah. And, and so you, you get lost and it becomes very hazy. And so I think for me, luckily I, I was able to, you know, I got 
I got released from that situation um, right on time mm. because I don't think I would have lasted <laughs> really much longer. And um, and and I was blessed because when I got out, they you know um, my um, my PO was basically like, look, you can either go and um, play basketball because I had a lot of friends that were being recruited at that time. Yeah. You know, like you can go play ball at Fairfax with all your friends, yeah. or you can go. You know, there's a couple really good um, art high schools that you could that you could go to. Um, but you know, you won't be able to start for another year or so. Mm. And so I was like, man, I'm not going to grow tall enough <laughs> to play basketball, yeah. but I can paint really well. So I want to go to the art school and mm. they're like, okay, cool. You go to the art school. But in the meantime, you're going to have to go to this continuation school uh. till you go to the art school and continuation school is really just a step above camp. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause yeah. it's like, you're in freedom, but it's yeah, like it's, all those it's, kids, it's, oh, before we get yeah. to camp. Yeah. It's all, it's almost like getting your PhD in criminology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, um, and so that what was, was that like though? Because like yeah. if, if, if that camp was hella uncomfortable, right? Now you're just in open space dealing with a lot of these kids that are on a similar well, trajectory, I think the, if you will. The or, big difference is a lot of those kids were coming from the same place I was coming from, mm, so okay. they're just happy to be there. I feel <laughs> so, so, I, that's a dynamic so you don't like, think yeah. about. Yeah, so there's not a lot of anger in um, that environment. There's mm. a lot of relief. So I don't want to go back. Because you know you yeah. get bust out to the valley, and you're just like, I'm out of the neighborhood. You know, I'm I'm not locked up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those, yeah, and a lot of those, uh, a lot of those guys, um, kids at that school were doing real, like real time, yeah. not like me just at a camp. Yeah. Like they were actually locked up in juvies or, <sighs> sure. you know, real youth authority. Um, yeah. The only downfall to that continuation school was it was all black kids, and we were next to Birmingham, which at that time was all Latino, and Latinos and blacks don't really get along. So like every day after school, there was like some sort of mini riot yeah. that, would, that would happen but you know it kind of became fun like it kind of just I became a thing because we were just wilding out but you know it, you know there I, I didn't get much better but at least I was you know I was in an environment you know that was where I really got my education on um you know bloods and crips and, mm. and all the different neighborhoods like Pacoima like places I'd never heard of yeah you know there's yeah. all these areas I was like where like <laughs> like there's bloods where there's crips where <laughs> like, <laughs> were you still having a hard time kind of fit in into that Just I think like being I, in the middle I, of I was uh you know I think that there's a little bit of a different respect that you get when you've like been busted and oh, okay. and so i you know still trying to fit in but i think i was like this is this is absolutely better oh. than anything else that i have uh i've been involved in so um so i went you know i was there for uh for a year which was which was fine and then um i ended up going to um an art you know an art school art high school which school um downtown or yeah. um la um high school for the arts and um it was at that school that uh i really started to think about like i gotta get away from the people i'm hanging out with and i gotta really figure out something because if i get busted again for any reason mm -hmm. i'm like gonna go away for real and i'm not gonna what was that moment for you like i just think that um i started to dawn on me that i was um more talented than I was giving myself credit for mm. that. I was, um, that I was actually really good at painting and I was really good at drawing. And I started to think, well, maybe I could like do that with my life. I was horrible at school, but I was like, you know, um, my father was an architect when I was a, a kid. He 
didn't really have a lot of success until I got a little older, yeah. but he was an amazing artist and amazing thinker. And awesome. I spent a lot of time with him when I was, you know, single digits. Mm. And um, he, that's where I got a lot of my creativity from. And so I just kind of started to think like maybe it's in my DNA that I'm supposed to be a painter or maybe I'm supposed to do murals or whatever. And now I got this opportunity. I'm around all these art kids that are, you know, in school and, and um, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do, you know? Mm. So it started to feel like, Okay, like what do I do now? Like yeah. where you know, I I I grew up Catholic, so I I didn't really believe in God. So it wasn't like I didn't have that moment yet where I was thinking about destiny or any of that kind of stuff. I was just trying to figure out what can I do to <laughs> to figure out how to make a living yeah. or do something that'll get me out the neighborhood or yeah. you know, and um and there was this uh one girl in my first period class and Ooh. every morning everybody would literally be jumping on the tables and acting crazy and she would be sitting in the corner reading books. And I was like, yo, who's this cute girl that's like sitting in the corner <sighs> reading books every morning? And um, finally one day, you know, being the smartest that I am, I walked up to her and I was like, yo, why are you reading? Like, <laughs> like class hasn't started yet. Stupid. And, um, and yeah, I was like, like, what are you, dumb? Like, <laughs> you're reading? Yeah, you're reading? So stupid. And I was definitely that kid. Like, why are you reading? And, um, and she said, I'm reading um, books about my, my faith. And I was like, you're what? She was like, about my faith. And I was like, what's your faith? And she was like, um, I'm part of the Baha'i faith. Wow. And I was like, I was like, what is that, a cult? And she was like, no. And I was like, what is it? And I was used to, uh, as a Catholic, I was used to when you ask somebody what it was or what do Catholics believe, you just hit them over the head until they became a Catholic. Yeah. Like that was how it went. You know what I mean? Because mm. if you're not a Catholic or a Christian, you're going to hell. Wow. And um and she didn't say that. She said, if you really want to know about it, you know, you should read a book yourself. Ooh. And I was, <laughs> you were like, Ooh. And I was like, well, I just was like, oh, I was like, all right, whatever, nerd, you know. Yeah. And, um, and then two days later, I was just kind of like, I was intrigued by it because she never said anything else to me about it. Yeah. So I was like, give me a book. <laughs> and um, she gave me a book, and I, I still thought it was like some weird cult yeah. thing. And, um, and then she said... Um, you know, I asked her more about it, and she said, look, we do this youth group on Sundays. If you ever want to come by, it's at the L.A. Baha'i Center on the cover of La Siena Gun Rodeo. Yeah. And I knew yeah. that building because I had all these friends that lived in the jungles. Right across from Fedco. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. And so we, we, had seen, <laughs> we had seen that building forever, and we were yeah. always like, what is in that weird building that's like <laughs> yeah. that big beige building? Yep. Like me and all the homies used to be like, what is in that building? <laughs> And, uh, and my bus used to go by there, you yeah. know, so it was just like, a, 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 it was like this weird Bermuda Triangle <laughs> that we didn't know what it was. And so I told the homies, I was like, yo, this girl I know who's mad cute said that they do a youth group in there on Sundays. Like, we should totally go. So I told all my... Y'all were hitting the club. At the yeah, club. basically, that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. But the thing that we, you know, the thing that we didn't, um, we didn't know that in the Baha'i faith, they encourage interracial marriage. Really? Um, so they encourage like, you know, um, they encourage it, they encourage it as a, as a way to unify people and bring people together and create, you know, more unity and diversity. Wow. So I'm only saying that to say that when we, um, we got to the Baha'i center to this youth group, it was a gang of these gorgeous mixed girls <laughs> in the, in the youth group. So all the homies were like, so, uh, it was like oh. Eureka. It was like, it was like Mama. Yeah, it was like Mama. We made it. <laughs> it was like in the movies when you're like going through the jungle and you find like the yeah. you know the beauty. You know, it, that's Jane is sitting yeah, there. Tarzan's not back. It's like Jane's so my sister. so my my boys. You know, 
I mean, I guess me too, but I'll put it more on them. They were <laughs> they were just like, oh my god, we we about to just like yeah. hook up with all these girls, yeah. you know what I mean? And after like the first week, we realized that none of those girls were even like that whatsoever. Like, yeah. not they definitely weren't checking for guys like us, and they definitely weren't the type of girls that just hook up with you. Yeah, you know, they were there like on a mission. Like these kids were like praying and they were like rehearsing some show that they had you know yeah. this performance thing it was like serious so after the second week my friends were like gone they they didn't want to go anymore but i for some reason i don't know i was intrigued by the fact that kids on a sunday were hanging out at this place mm. and praying and reading and and rehearsing and so i i um i kept going and um and after a certain point they were like do you want to join the group and i was like I'm not I'm not a uh, Baha'i. I don't even, you know, I don't know much about it yet. I just, I'm just coming to hang out. Yeah. And like, you don't have to be a Baha'i. Like, you could just join the group and you could fit somewhere in the show, whatever. And I was like, well, why? What's the point of the show? And they're like, well, in, you know, three weeks, four weeks, we're going to go on the summer trip where we go across the country and we perform in different places across the country. And I was wow. like, how much does it cost? And they're like, it's free. Oh. And I was like... How do Sign we? Me how, up. No, I was like, I was like, how do we eat? And they were like, Baha'is across the country feed us. And I was like, where do we sleep? And they're like, we stay at different Baha'is homes. And I was like, so I get to leave my neighborhood, get out of LA, see the country for a month, and it's all free. And all I got to do is some little thing in your little show. Yeah. And they're like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, sold. I was Sign like, si- I, exactly. I was wow. like, I was like, sign me up. I was like, sounds awesome, right? So they're like, what do you want to do in the show? And I was like, I'm gonna be the rapper. In the show, guys, I'm not going to do your little dances or your little skits or whatever. I uh. want to rap. So like, all right, cool. Write a rap. So I mean, dude, I didn't know how to rap. Like yeah. freestyling on the school bus is like one thing. But like actually like writing a yeah. rap is yeah. like, that's like a whole other thing. Yeah. So I wrote this little rap and I like spit it to everybody. And, and I think everybody was like, these were the you know, suburban kids. Yeah. So I came from a different world than them. So yeah. you I, were also unique to them. I was unique to them. So I think like, I won't say they were intimidated by me but it was just it was different yeah so when i like showed them the rap everybody was like man that's great that's awesome so so good and i was like and i was like yeah i was yeah, like biggest, i was like <laughs> that, that, that full body thumbs up <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but see <laughs> but see it was weird because they weren't they weren't nerds necessarily they weren't like nerdy kids yeah but they were just like they were suburban kids yeah, yeah so it was just it was like like i i took the the bus like i took the metro to the Baha'i Center, they all got picked up by their parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? I took the bus for an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. You know, and so for them, they were just like, you ride the bus? And I was like, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, nobody's going to pick my ass up from La Cienega <laughs> and rodeo and drive me back to the east side. You know what I mean? It was like that kind of stuff, right? I feel that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so they were like, all right, cool. So you'll do the rap, like, in this part of the show, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right. So I remember we get on the bus and, like, we, our first stop was, uh, was Albuquerque. Whoa. So we get to Albuquerque and they're like, "Yeah, this is where we're performing." We pull up to a juvie, basically a juvenile hall. Hey, and wait, I'm like, you're, you're, four, you're 14, 15, or I'm fourteen. Fourteen. Wow. Yeah. So what, I'm what like, was that, "What was that drive like?" For it you? was a dope. It was on a bus. Like yeah. it was cool. It was like you're on tour. Like yeah. you know, you're on like basically like a, a chartered bus. Yeah. And um, and it, you know, I'd never really 
you know, I'd seen like campgrounds with my grandparents, yeah, like in Nevada and yeah. up the coast. But like now we're driving across the country, yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, this is this is exciting. But we pulled up to a juvie, and then I was like, oh, we're performing here, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. yeah. And so on my head, I'm like, I'm like, damn, I know these kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, so I kind of felt a little uneasy, but I was like, whatever, it'll yeah. be cool. So like we do the show and then it gets to my part and um I get up and start rapping and and then I hear the kid you know it's a boys juvenile hall and I hear like all the dudes in the audience like snickering and yeah. like yeah. <laughs> 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 like <laughs> really yeah, hell yeah and I was, <laughs> I was like <laughs> hey, the suburban rap guy just came to the hood yeah. and he's like oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Hell, small. and I was like and then I got on stage and I was like. Oh, it's not a happy ending to that story. <laughs> and I was, you know, you thinking I'm about to say, and I killed it. And I, you know, it, it was awful. And so I got off the stage and I was like, you know, everybody's like, man, good job. First show, first show. And I was like, yo, performing is hard. Yeah. Like, that's not easy getting up on stage, especially in front of that crowd. Yes. Oof. So we went from Albuquerque to Phoenix and in Phoenix, it was a men's prison. Oh, wow. So and they didn't clue you in at all before. They just like, said that we perform <laughs> like you going on a road trip and then you hit, like, oh, we just got to do this. They like, said it was like inner city rec centers, malls, <laughs> like inner city rec centers, which, which we did as well. But they didn't say the first two stops Ma- were like malls. It's like, <laughs> like we were going to be on an episode of lockup. <laughs> he's, he's thinking like, like, he's thinking like, like, like the YMCA didn't... and like Beverly Center. Yeah. I'm like, like <laughs> no. Yeah. Because I was just like. But I mean, I guess I'm thinking in my head. I'm so like, you well, went from a juvenile facility to a men's prison. <laughs> yeah. So the Snickers went from mm, mm, to so like, yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm, I mean, I was just like, all right, I guess like, <laughs> like, like we're traveling for free, so I just gotta knock this out. Like, so I, so same thing. Like I get up from my part, and like the dudes is like. <laughs> And he's like yeah. grown men. Now, now you have grown men. Yeah, now it's like, like now it's like grown dudes. So like not on, not only am I like like having anxiety, but I'm on stage like holding the mic. Like, <laughs> like you can't see me because it's a podcast, but like my hand is shaking right now. Like if you holding the mic and you like and then the mother say, because <laughs> like, bro, your audience is girls. Yeah, yeah. It's like dude looking at you. And like, I'm like look, and I'm like looking down, and they're like boo. And, and, and you know the guard, the guards are like hey, 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 and like. <laughs> you know, so it's like the guards. The guards are like telling dudes to shut up. Like, yo, <laughs> oh my god. So then I'm like, I didn't even want. You know, <laughs> the, the idea was you would perform, and then after the show, you could talk to the people in the audience. I didn't even go out because <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah. like, okay. I feel you. So I got back on the bus, and like we we had an overnight drive, and I was like. This can't happen anymore. Like, I'm not gonna do this whole trip and get heckled <laughs> and booed. Like, this is this is. I might as well just go back to like. I might as well go back to camp. Yeah. So, so then I'm like, I started. Um, I I was like, I'm gonna just teach myself how to freestyle. So yeah. everybody else is on the bus. Like, I'm on the bus and I'm like, you know, highway, my way, flyway, tree, free me. I'm just teaching myself yeah. words. So by the the fourth show. I was get up on st- I would get up on stage and then what I was doing is I would basically freestyle about what people were wearing in the audience. Nice. I'd be like, my man with it, you know, and it was like whatever. Yeah. It was like it yeah, was kind of yeah. corny, but it like was awesome because for them, they were like, the, oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. oh right. And you're yeah. getting more comfortable. And I'm getting more comfortable, and I got really good at freestyling. And so then at at the end of the show, I would go out and every you know all the kids would start coming up to me and talking to me. And then <sighs> while they were talking to me. They would start to be like, "Wait, this dude knows what's up." 
And so then they would start to be like, yo, where are you from, Holmes? Like, where are you from? And I'd be like, nah, 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 nah. I'm not, I'm not here for that. Nowhere. Yeah, nowhere. <laughs> but, um, but it was interesting because it turned into me basically doing like, like drug intervention and gang intervention. Because wow. I was sitting there talking to these kids and I knew where they were at because I was also there. Mm. It's just I was kind of faking it because I was with this group. Yeah. So I was telling them, no, there's like, you know, there's other things you could be doing. There's another way out, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't exactly know what that was, Mm. but I just felt like at the moment I was out of it. So I could kind of tell them, look at me. Yeah. Like I'm out here traveling with these fools. Like I'm seeing the country and I'm performing and I'm doing all this just because I was open to opportunity. I was open to, to possibility. And I became the guy in the group that everywhere we would go from, we did do a lot of inner, you know, city rec centers. We yeah. did projects. We Thank would God go to did, malls. Though. I don't yeah. think you would have lasted with like prisons and, and. Well, we did more of those too. We did more of those, but because I got good, the freestyling yes. thing got me a pass. Yes. And then when they would talk to me afterwards, then they would they would be like, "Damn, you know what's up? Like you know the because I knew the lingo, and yeah. you, you forget that the same gangs that are in L.A. are all across the country. Yeah. Yeah. So like you're meeting 18th Street in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. And yeah. you're meeting Bloods and Crips in Des Moines, Iowa. But for real, that. That trip for me personally was crazy because not only did I see that part of the country, but I saw the very racist part of the country because like like Des Moines, Iowa is the capital of the KKK. You know, wow. at least at that time, it, that was yeah. they had the largest amount of KKK people in the yeah. outskirts of Des Moines than anywhere else in the country at that time. So we had KKK people showing up at our performances because we were a diverse group. Yeah. You know, there's black kids, white kids, Latin kids, and and the Baha'i principles of the Baha'i faith are unity and diversity and oneness. So regardless if you were there to hear what the Baha'i faith was, the message of the whole show was about people coming together. Mm. So, you know, we would have skinheads come to our show and sit there and just watch us and try to, you know, and I was the guy that would go out and talk to them because I was like, man, no, nothing scares me. I've been, yeah. I've been in the scariest. How was that for you? Yeah, how it was awesome. I mean, everybody else thought I was crazy, but it was awesome because I had never met a skinhead. I don't, I didn't even know what the KKK really was. I had yeah. never met people like that. So for me, I wanted to hear what they had to say too. Yeah. I wanted like, why do you hate black people? Tell me like what happened. <laughs> and up. it would be these crazy conversations like that would happen. And, and they were open to have them. They bro. were engaging. They were, yeah. they were engaging. And some of them were so moved that this group of kids were out there performing that they actually were starting to think about why did they have hate, like so much hate in their hearts. So it opened me up because I had grown up in such a bubble and had only seen the things that I had seen that I didn't know and understand that there was still segregation going on in the deep South. I didn't know and understand what was happening um, in rural America, what the kids were going through, like the challenges of just basically being like boredom being their worst enemy straight up you know what i mean I, I didn't know what meth was or those type of drugs we didn't even really have those in the hood yet yeah. <laughs> you know so i'm yeah, seeing yeah. all these things that are opening me up to like man the world is so much bigger mm. than just my little bubble and yeah. then you know even on you know we went on another trip where we went to a native american reservation and i had never been around you know native americans like that and i'd never seen people that were living in our country below the poverty line <sighs> You know, and we were there as, you know, as Baha'is and performing and working with the kids. And, you know, those kids are so poor that they were still, you know, sniffing spray paint. Wow. And they were like, they can afford guns. So they were making shanks still. You know what I mean? And like, it, it's just, you see, and I'd never seen that before. Yeah. So for me, it just opened me up to, uh, you know, a different sense of what's happening in our country. And those things really fueled me 
to actually learn what like what am I doing out here? Like what like what where is this Baha'i faith taking me? And more importantly, like like is God like <laughs> is God doing all this? Like yeah. is God showing me all this? And so it, for me that became you know my forty days and forty nights. Wow. Like those though that that initial journey was sort of my my path of figuring out what it was. And I remember when we got back to LA, I had a prayer book and I remember I um stayed up one night and I read the whole prayer book front to back. And when I got to the end of the prayer book, I just started weeping, really? like not, um, not crying. Like yeah. I was weeping because it was the first time in my life that I felt like there was something bigger than me that had been protecting me and looking wow. over me this whole 14 years. And wow. I, and I, and I, um, the and the I, goosebumps <laughs> are coming out. Joe, Joe I, hits the goosebumps <laughs> like they hot though. You know what I'm saying? But, but I just felt like, you know, I just felt, I had had I had had near death experiences. I had moments where I didn't want to live. I had had moments where I was like unsure of what I was supposed to be doing. But then I was like, but I came out on the other side of those moments okay and yeah. and like unscathed. And the only thing that could have made that happen is some greater power. And I started to be like, is that God? Like, is there a, is like, does God exist? Is that a real thing? Because you were a Catholic. Oh yeah, really and I was like, that. I was just told my whole life I was a sinner and I was going to hell. And I was like, I don't want to know that God. Yeah. I don't want to know the God that's just going to make me burn after yeah. I leave here. Like, yeah. I'm cool on him. Let him. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But this this God that I was feeling was like some God that was like like guiding me on this journey. Some God that was putting me in front of other kids that needed to hear what I had to say mm. and needed to feel my energy because I knew where they were coming from. Yeah. And I remember that night I just, you know, I knew that there was something called God and it was real. And um and then I felt like okay, well, I guess I'm I'm a Baha'i. Like I guess that's that's makes sense to me. Mm. You know, and and so I um I found faith and I found God at that moment and I just knew if I was going to believe in God and start to embark on that journey that I had to leave everything else behind like mm. i had to like go from one extreme to the other and you found this at a young age yeah. i found it at a young age but again at a it, very pivotal age though yeah it's it like, was it's, it's like on your becoming into for sure adolescent adulthood and i think that um again it was i had sort of been trained to always be in survival mode so i think again it was it was a real thing but it was also survival so instinct it was also literal freedom then for sure because it was me like finding a reason to stop doing what i was doing you know what I'm saying? Like I have heavy alcoholism in my family, bad, and um, it gave me a reason to not drink. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I had a lot of homies that were starting to really get in real trouble and really get locked up. It gave me a reason to not hang out with them anymore. Mm. And I needed something to give me a reason because I didn't have the strength or courage just to turn my back on it on mm. my own. You know, I couldn't just be like, hey, guys, I'm not hanging out with you anymore because I'm scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Like, like. <laughs> Gem, though, for real. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't, you can't stand by that. I can't. And, that, and at that age, but if you're. But there's something bigger than you. But if it's something hey, bigger I, and it's I, just I, like, I hey, guys, you. I found God, so I won't be hanging out on the block anymore. And then everybody's like, yo, he lost his mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, But you're okay with that. Right. Because they're like, oh, damn, he like reads books now and like prays and all this nonsense. Like I became like the outcast. Like mm. I lost. In that single moment, I lost all my friends that I had grown up with. Like everybody 
in that neighborhood. I had and even my own was that liberating or was that devastating? No, it was devastating. It was it was liberating mm. because I felt like okay, cool, maybe like now um I'll you know I'll I'll, I'll stay out of trouble. I'll be yeah. on a good path, but it was hard because it's like my own my own family was like telling me Yo, you're you're joining a cult. Like you're gonna go to hell. Mm, you, wow. you know what I mean? Like everybody was like, "Why? What? I don't get it." Like Jesus is enough, and I was like, "I believe in Jesus." Like the you know we believe like Baha'is believe in all that. Yeah. You know, and and I was like, and this is not even about me becoming part of the Baha'i faith. It's about you guys should be happy that I actually believe in something. Yeah, anything. You know what I mean? That's gonna keep me focused. Yeah, you know. And so for me, it it was. It was devastating because you kind of, you know, what's the saying? You, you want to have your your cake and eat it too, yeah. or whatever. You know, I feel like you kind of want people to just accept that, so you don't, you know, those, you know, that your friends are there, regardless. But they weren't there, and so I basically had a whole new group of friends now. Yeah. I had to start from scratch, and I had to s- become friends with these people in this new circle that I was that I was hanging out with and and my life was just going to change. And that was going to be what it was. If I was going to survive and, and figure it out. Um, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, so many of my friends were just doing nothing, you know, as teenagers. And I, you could just see the writing on the wall. Like, and even now, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, some of them dudes are dead. Some of them dudes are still locked up. Mm-hmm. The ones that aren't locked up are working in factories or got seven kids with four women or like whatever. It's just like, yeah. you know what I mean? And, you know, and those like that part of my life, I don't even go back to, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, um, I don't, you know, I don't ever look those dudes up. You know, I don't, I, I just kind of like stay, stay away from it yeah. um, because it was such another, another time and it was another me. Well, I mean, also talking about like, you know, you always had that knot in your stomach of you don't really know kind of where you necessarily truly fit in. At this point, when you became a Baha'i, did you feel that like, was that not gone? It it was not totally gone because it was still like hard for me. I wanted to really, I mean, I had like addictions, like, like weird addictions though. Like, you know, because I had done graffiti and tagging and was so good at gang lettering. Like yeah. I did it all the time. I was addicted to it. Tables, like <laughs> everywhere, bus yeah. on the bus, like on a seat. I, you know, cuss, I cussed a lot. You know, I always would cut like just out of, like I had these weird things that I wanted to stop doing. Mm. Like I wanted to not cuss like I was. I wanted Why? to, I just felt like I wanted to transform. I wanted to see what it felt like to just start from scratch. And Oof. I felt like those were things that I learned. Like, I didn't feel like I, you know, as a little kid, like, I just had great memories of my mom and dad being together, of, like, going to Disneyland. Like, I just had these these innocent, beautiful memories of being a child. And, yeah. I, and I felt like I had learned all these habits and acquired all these habits that necessarily weren't really me. Mm. You know, like, I, it wasn't really, like, me to be a mean person. It wasn't really who I was to bully or or to you know throw up gang signs or yeah you know getting fights like i just never felt comfortable doing that i did mm. it because that was my environment but it wasn't really who i was i liked the memories i had of being a happy kid and an innocent yeah. kid and i just wanted to feel what that was like like what is it like to not curse a lot what is it like to not talk bad about people when they're not around what is it like to be comfortable in our own skin yeah and what is it like to not um 
have to drink because I'm in an uncomfortable situation or because I don't know how to have fun without it? What yeah. is it like not to smoke weed because I have anxiety? Like, can I get rid of anxiety by just praying maybe or meditating? Like, what is that? Like, how do you pray? How do you meditate? I, don't, I just wanted to feel. You were curious. Yeah, I was curious. I wanted to feel what it what it was like to be a human being that had no, no um, like didn't need anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just wanted to just have me and that was it. And so that's I. A, that's quite a quest. Bro. Yeah. I, I, I don't, yeah. Because I just I just felt like I, you know, it was weird because I got I got pretty good at performing and I started to feel most comfortable, like, talk, you know, on stage talking to people and and connecting with people and having conversations like this. That became where I was most comfortable. And at mm-hmm. a certain point, I felt like I was more comfortable on stage than I was in a room full of people. Um, and so I just was like, man, I, I need to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do. Yeah. You know, like, what am I supposed to be doing? And and being in that youth group for, you know, that three or four years, you know, I started to feed off the idea of using art to actually affect people because I had seen it so many times, man. I had seen had kids like start crying when I talked to them. I had, you know, because they knew where I was coming from. And it was like they had never met somebody like me that coming from Los Angeles and saying, man, I know what you're going through. Like, I know what it's like to not have your pops around or, yeah. you know, to grow up, you know, feeling like there's no opportunities, you know, I know what that's like, you know, and, and I kind of did know what it was like. I think part of me didn't know what some, you know, I'm obviously, you know, there's challenges that come with being a person of color that I have never experienced, Absolutely, you know, and so I will never say that I totally get it, but yeah. I, I got it from a class perspective. Yeah. Like I knew from the, it's crazy you say you that know. because somebody that was over at my crib last night, we're having this like, heated discussion right and out of nowhere he goes do you think that you know the black man's plight in america right and i think he was expecting an answer and i was just like no right how could i right i see it i have a view of these things but how could i ever know what it's like to be you right you know what i'm saying these things it's like you don't we don't know what it's like to be something unless we are that thing. Right. We can grow to understand certain things. We can grow to question them, but we'll never know what it's and, like. And all of our experiences are, are unique to us because yeah. I think my experience, I don't really know a lot of people that have had my experience of, yeah. of gr- being able to grow up in all these different environments and yeah. be able to pull from them and, and basically be, confused in the greatest way possible (laughs) to to where you know to to the point where you don't exactly know what you are or who you are or how you fit in um so you know i think after doing that that youth group i started to feel like my calling was to figure out how to do music Mm. because i felt like art was cool but i can make a painting or drawing and show it to somebody but it wasn't the same as playing a song for somebody or performing for somebody and them immediately being like, I need to talk to you. Yeah. Like, I want to hear what you have to say. Immediate impact, immediate gratification of sorts. That's insane that, um, that that was the catalyst because a lot of people get into music because they simply like, like music or want to get in it to get girls or wild out and be in that environment. Right. Or kind of like live the fantasy of what it means to be an artist. But yours came from like a deep fulfillment and a place of impact. For sure. You know, I, I just don't think you hear that often being the reason why people get into music. Some well, I didn't, just- I didn't 
think that I was going to be like end up being like some like I was going to be some superstar or something like totally, that. Yeah. I just was like I really enjoyed doing it and I was like I want to figure out how I can do this and make a living. Yeah. doing it. Like how can I make a living doing music and working with kids and you know that kind of was just my first initial motivation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And because I um I wasn't stupid like I knew I wasn't great at it yet. You know what I mean? Oh, I, it, sure. it, but I, but it, but I was like and I wasn't natural for me. Like I wasn't like naturally inclined to make music, but I knew that I was good enough where I was able to work, like get kids attention and, and be able to say things that they would listen to. And, you know, and I loved, you know, I I had been told that I couldn't do stuff so often that I always was like, kind of, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder. I was always out to prove to people, Mm. I'm going to show you that I can do it. Mm. So I even, um, I even remember when I came out of that youth group, and um, a couple of my friends that were also like now rapping in the youth group, I was like, man, we should start a group together. And they were like, all right, cool, let's do it. And I was like, yeah, let's just find some beats and we'll rap. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. it was like so innocent and awesome because I was like, man, that was like so simple to just be like, let's just find some beats and we'll make some songs and we'll and record we're it. Yeah, we'll record a demo. And we'll like book shows at the clubs <laughs> in Hollywood. It was like, man, now it's so. But uh, but at that time, I remember, and I remember we could never find any beats that we liked. Um, from anybody like we would go to all these different like you know little amateur <laughs> st- studios like yeah. now now i'm like just laughing about it, <laughs> thinking about some of the places we were because i'm like oh my god i would never be there right now and i can't believe that music we actually sat there and listened to for two hours but <laughs> we would go to all these um random studios trying to find beats and get people to like make a make a demo with us <laughs> and it was awful like the music was just so so bad that I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make make beats for us. Nice. I'm going to make beats. Okay. And then everybody was like, how are you going to make beats? Like, you've never made a beat in your life. And I was like, uh, I'll figure it out. So I remember I, I um, <laughs> spent the weekend, like, trying to think about, and I had, um, I had bought this, like, Mazda. It was like an old Mazda for, like, I don't know, it was like a 1000 bucks or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, um, I'll sell my car. Nice. And I'll just buy something I can make beats on. Yeah. And that's what I did. I sold my car and um I bought this little drum machine. Now, did you ever play like an instrument? No. Growing? Nothing. Not really, you nothing. Never like even hit like a piano key or I mean probably but not, but like but, I okay. I don't know what key I hit. <laughs> you're like I mean like I bumped into to a piano. So I, guess I, so I remember when I sold my car and I bought the drum machine, everybody, like all my my good friends, like close friends, people that I loved People that were now part of my friend group were like, please don't do music. (laughs) Like, trust us. You are an amazing painter. You're an amazing artist. People already are checking for your work. Like, just do that. Wait, but why why did they discourage the music? Because I had just never even made a beat. And, like, I remember the first few things that I I made were terrible. Like, I didn't even know what a hi-hat was. Like, I just didn't even, like, I would listen to beats and I'd be like, damn, how do they make it feel glued together? Like, how does it, (laughs) like, how does it feel, like, so, like, man, it feels like, like, one thing. And I'm like, what is that? And it took me, like, a month to figure out, like, how to put hi-hats on a song. And I was like, oh, it's the hi-hat. That's what I was like. (laughs) And I couldn't play nothing. So I would just sample little sounds. Like, I was, like, I just couldn't even do anything. So. And, like, I'm already, like, you know, I'm already, like, 17 at this point. You yeah. know what I mean? And and that's and to not know anything about music 
and to say I'm going to change yeah. my whole idea of what I was going to do for a living and start trying to make music, everybody was just like, don't do it. Like, it's a, ter- it's a terrible idea. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, that, that like, fueled me because I was like, I'm going to figure it out, you know. And, and I always tell people all the time, man, you know, I don't think that I was ever the most talented at what I did, but I would outwork anybody. Well, yeah, we talk, I mean, you look, know, we talk about that all the time is that, you know, so many people who have just the natural gifted yep. talent, yeah. the people who work hard are going to outwork them every single time. For sure. In every equation. And imagine a motherfucker with talent, but like that works as hard as the person with none. Oh, and yeah, yeah absolutely. Unreal, right? So, you know. But the beautiful thing is here about that quest for music is like, your driver was different than why a lot of people got into music. From what, based on what I I've digested from what you, what made you want to pursue that is the feeling that it gave you. Like it's it's so much different to pursue something based on how it makes you feel, and the more and more you put into it, the better and better you feel about it. As opposed to the I want to make music because. I want to be famous or I want the world to hear my shit or all of these things. Those that get to that point will get there, right? If they put all of that work in and a lot of them won't, even if they put all the work in and everything's done correctly. Mm. Right. But the driver, which is the most beautiful part for you. Yes. That music path and any creative or the arts path is never easy. Right. It's never guaranteed. The reason why so many of our parents like don't go down these paths is because like at the end of the day, all of our parents just want us to be independent and happy yep. and whatnot. And yeah. that is not associated with a creative path. Well, well, fame for me too was like fame. I mean, I grew up in LA not even knowing that the entertainment business was here because mm. I grew up in a bubble. So fame, fame for me was like, Unreal. like Unreal. I want to, um, I want to, like I want to buy my grandma a new house. Like I want to be able to get my mom a car like that was famous for me you yeah. know it wasn't like i just want people in the neighborhood to like think my music is dope yeah you know i wasn't i didn't even know any you know anybody was here so i was yeah. you know so i wasn't even thinking on those terms because i didn't really know how it worked yeah i was just like yo let's just make music and and figure it out and like book some shows yeah and, and give out our, our our music to as many people as we can so it was like super you know it was super innocent there was no motive behind it it was just like i love doing it and i just wanted to get really good at it because i felt like if i got good at it people would like it and pay attention to yeah. it wow you know and and so i just spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how to make beats like i was just literally like hours and hours and hours and everybody else was going to clubs and hanging out and going you know going out with their girlfriends and doing all that stuff and i was literally just sitting there all day long just trying to figure out how to make beats until my beats got pretty good. And yep. then one day I looked up and people were like, man, can I, can I get a beat off you? Or like, yeah. you know, and we was actually making music and it was, it was dope. Like the music was good and people liked it. And then all of a sudden everybody was like, oh man, you should make music and paint. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, what happened? Like yeah. six, six months ago, you told me I was whack and don't yeah. ever make music. You know what Straight I'm saying? Up. What was that process like for you in going through the beat making process, not as a musician and uh, mm. kind of just learning from, you know, kind of from that innocent place, in my mind, you know, being a musician, it, I would think it's just very free. Like you have a full on creative, imaginary, imaginative um, canvas. But what was, you know, going through that process, it takes so much kind of perseverance. And like when you're making beats and figuring stuff out, there is like 
a process where you have to go over and over and over again. I think it was, you know, it was, I think anybody that works with me now will tell you that I get into these modes where I just, I bury my, kind of bury myself and mm. I just put my head down and do the work. Yeah. And I don't come up for air, you know, and that's sort of how I've always been when it comes to work ethic, you know, and I think that process was the same thing. I just, I just buried myself. I listened to a lot of stuff. I mean, I think a couple of months ago, I even, I found this notebook that I had. I had this notebook because I didn't know what a bar was. Like one, two, three, four. I didn't understand what that was. Mm. And I had this notebook where I went through all my favorite albums and I wrote down how many bars each thing was. Mm. Wow. So I was like, verse one, eight bars. Verse two, or, you know, pre pre-chorus was yeah. four bars chorus was eight bars because i didn't understand music arrangements yeah oh, wow. and, and i that's and i lit. and i was looking wow. i was looking at this notebook and i was like man that's how far i've come like i didn't even know what a bar was like i didn't even know how to arrange a song i didn't understand what that meant because when we first started making songs the beat would play and everybody would just rap as long as they wanted yeah yeah there was like never a chorus. A it was just like I would rap and then the next dude would rap yeah. and the next dude would rap and the song would be like six minutes long of just fools rapping. 240 and I remember, <laughs> And I remember some, like we played a song. I, I had this um friend that was like kind of a well-known dude in the hip-hop world, you know, underground hip-hop scene in LA and I had played him a, one of our songs like that and he was like, man, usually a verse shouldn't be longer than 12 or 16 bars and I was like, yeah, what, what's that? <laughs> like, like, how, like, how's that work? Because like, like, yeah. on the drum machine, on the drum machine, I knew like it would say bars. Like you would put how many bars you wanted yeah. or things, but I didn't know what he meant. Like you I didn't mean, know how to apply it. Yo, just no. put a hot two hundred. Like yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know it. Like, and that's how, like you know, that's how naive and ignorant I was <laughs> mm-hmm. to actual music, music. You know, and and so there, there was just this process I went through where I felt like it was a crash course. You know, I was just studying. The beauty is that how curious you were, though, bro. You know what it was? I also didn't like, want. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, I also didn't want to be like I didn't want to be embarrassed by the music I was making. Mm. Like my, I also had an ego, and I didn't want to play my stuff for people and have people be like, "Yeah, like what is this?" Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Because I feel like, you know, I feel like I also, you know, although I had gone through this journey, I also was at a place where I was concerned what people thought about me. Mm. you know and absolutely um, it wasn't so hardcore at that point yeah it got worse but like it, i think i wanted people to know that i stopped painting be- because i was really good at music you know not because i was like just felt like pro- proving everybody wrong yeah you know and so for me I, that process was it was tough and it was painful because there was a lot of criticism and critique and mm. there was a lot of me not knowing what the hell i was doing mm. but um but it was exciting because I felt like I was making breakthroughs and the breakthroughs sound ridiculous now. Like Straight figuring up. out how many bars a verse should be or figuring out what a hi-hat was or how to make a snare. But it was actually kind of cool because I developed a method for how to make music that made no sense. You know what I mean? So like, even to this day, a lot of people don't understand how I work because I just have a weird way of, like I approach music like a painting. Mm. You know, mm. I, I can see a song before I can like put it together before I have to put it together. And so I can tell you what the song is going to sound like. And a lot of people just think I'm out of my mind, but that was how I learned how to make beats because I would kind of know how it was supposed to feel and sound. And I could see it. I could see, see it as a painting or see it as a video. I could just see it visually. And then I just had to fill in the blanks. I just had to fill in like the sounds to make it look that way. And it's, I mean, it's ass backwards from a technical approach, but 
for my process, I learned it that way because I came from being an artist, like a visual artist. Yeah. And so it was the only way that it made sense to me, you know? Um, yeah. And those breakthroughs can be so important too, from like not allowing you to get discouraged, you know, for sure. Yeah. You know, you need those breakthroughs, even that like as smaller as like as dumb as they may sound, it's super important. And especially anyone who wants to get into music, you need to understand like it takes rigorous work and tons of hours for to sure get there. for um, sure yeah and 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 you know and the the blessing and the curse is that again i kind of felt like i was able i won't say fake it but i was able to get some good songs out of this little group that we had you know quickly and then it kind of encouraged me to actually really dive in and so i started making my own songs and then people actually started to like them and take notice of what i was doing yeah. and quick it quickly turned into something how was for that me. so so out the gates when you started like making music and all that and it's like working on the production a group formed around that yeah i mean it it fell apart quickly yeah um it was more of like a group for me because i just needed people yeah to be around me while i was going through this process i didn't want to do it alone so i just wanted people to come come in the room be like can y'all rap to this (laughs) (laughs) can you you know can you guys rap to this does this feel on beat because i think even some of the beats like the drums wouldn't be tight it was just bad it was not at first, it was not good. Yeah. But um. But once how, I how long did it take you to start getting comfortable with your work? Because still, even in that process, you're you're going to be basing it off how others perceive it, right? Because it's like you're unsure, but you're getting better. You know that yeah. you're arranging it better. Like it's starting to be a little more cohesive. Well, the thing that's crazy is so I like made you know I I made maybe four songs on my own out of like a hundred probably, and those four songs are actually like really. You know, they're really dope. People really liked them. And then I ended up having a couple of people heard them that were like, yo, can we go play these for labels? Wow. And um, and that was a time when I felt like maybe at that time, you know, we're talking like early 2000s at that time. It seemed like it may, I no disrespect to anybody. It seemed like it wasn't that hard to get signed because mm. it just <laughs> felt yeah. like felt like a lot of people could just get signed off and of potential. They, no, but and they were. It <laughs> yeah. Was, it was like the dot com boom. It was like yeah. the dot com boom. So. Eventually, like, I ended up getting signed, you know, um, not not long after that. As a, a artist? As an producer? artist. Yeah, oh. as an artist. Because I had these four songs that I made that were... that were you, were... you were rapping over them? I was, like, rap singing, kind okay. of. Like, it was, like... And it, 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 it was, like, okay. Like, I don't think it was great, really. Yeah. But it was just weird and different. Yeah. And, and new and interesting. And, and I think I was, like, an interesting person. Were so you doing pe- shows, too? Yeah, like we well, there was like at that time there was like a lot of open mics around LA. Ah. So I had gotten cool with everybody at mm. the open mics, and I had gotten cool with like the you know like the far side dudes. I was cool with that was cool with like AC Alone. Like I was cool with all the OGs, like all the older dudes that had come up through the scene, and they had all hosted open mics. So I was just doing all these open mics at that time, trying songs out mm. and just trying to get better. <clears throat> so I ended up you know getting signed, and all this cool stuff happened, and but I wasn't really good enough to see it all the way through okay. so then it <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean like i didn't really know how to make an album yeah. i didn't really know how to produce i just was like i was just figuring it out to get songs done yeah so i didn't even know what the music industry was i just somebody told me they were gonna give me like some money to make a project and i was like oh my god it was more money i'd ever seen in my life yeah you know so much money to me and i was like yes yeah. But I was so unprepared for it because I think that, again, because I had the gift of gab, I was able to convince everybody around me that I was that I was better than I really was. Yeah. 
you know so i was able to just kind of be like oh man i'm gonna do this yeah. and i could do this and then, it's gonna and then stop. you got it and you were like <sighs> and then i got it and i didn't really know how to make an album like i had no yeah, i had no here. i had no clue you know yeah. i just got all this money yeah and and i just made a project that was I don't know. It just wasn't. It wasn't great. But I learned quickly, like what the music business was. Were, like, you, were, were there, like when you got signed, was there somebody, a friend, or somebody that was like, "Look, I want to manage you. Let me take you to this," or was it just happening? There was, uh, you know, that you always have these mystery characters that show yeah. up in these stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you read these stories about people, and like, because I, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies, yeah. yeah. And you always read those biographies, and there's like. 15 or 20 mystery people in the first half of the book whose yeah. name come up twice and you never hear from them again. Yeah. There was a few of those. Got it. So there was like mystery people. Like yeah. the guy that came up to me at the open mic yep. in Lemur Park and was like, man, let me play your song for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'd be like, cool. I don't even remember that dude's name. Yeah. You know, I'm going to introduce you to this late. It was a whole bunch of that. Yeah. And, and when especially you're, during that time. Yeah. And when you're 17, you're just like whatever yeah cool like oh, i don't I'm gonna be on yeah okay. i don't know anything about paperwork i just know you're saying you're gonna give me a month you know money and anything yeah. over ten thousand dollars feels like you hit the lottery you know what i mean yeah. so there was a lot of that there was a lot of like people that were you know consultants so i even feel like when i got when i got signed and i got a check i feel like a lot of that check went quickly because there were so many people that were like consultants on that deal and i just didn't yeah. know any i just didn't know any better no, and well, i never heard from them again after that that's a very welcome to the music industry yeah, yeah. so i was yeah. like so you know i so at that point i'm like i had just turned 18 and uh, i had no clue what i was what i was doing or you know and i made an album that was whatever and it just didn't it didn't go anywhere. I mean, I learned a lot. I just, the project didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And then I kind of ended up, you know, like a lot of people, I just ended up, you know, getting dropped. And, um, how long was that period on the, on the first, like, um, label scenario? it was a little over three years. Wow. Yeah. It was like, it was a bit of a process. Yeah, that's a good enough. That's a, yeah, good it was of a lot of stops and starts and stops and starts. Well, and were you able to cover your living during that time with what I you was were at, given? I was, um, yeah, I was for that period of time. And then, because a lot, what a lot of people don't realize is like an advance or even like a pub check and all these things. Sometimes, even if it's like super bodacious money, like that may have to last a motherfucker five years. Yeah, you got it has to last. Um, I wasn't extravagant. Yeah, with um with the money because I just I wasn't that guy necessarily. Mm -hmm. But um, but when I ended up not being signed anymore, I definitely was out of money. Yeah. Like I definitely didn't have a lot of money left, and I um and I. I toiled around for, you know, a good like two, three years after that, just trying to figure out what to do and, and how to get better. And what was that toil around process like? Because like even like those mystery characters, I feel like in creators past there's those mystery times. Right? I think that um during that time it's where it's, they're very real though, because like yeah. no creator is on a constant creation pass. They are, but like these murky areas and there's a reason why I just want to like bring light to it is because like they happen for all of us. Like there was times like in my path where I was just so fucking lost, but I was on autopilot. But like things come of that process where you're asking yourself questions and you're looking back at the path crossed and then it's like, okay, what can I do to continue growing? I think the thing that happens is when you get a taste of something like that, you sort of crave it. Mm. You're damn right. And I think for me, I had a taste of it. I had a taste of getting a lot of attention. You know, they, I got flown to New York to meet with labels. They put me up in a hotel. I got taken to dinners. Mm. I was a kid. Like, it was exciting. You yeah. know, I was, I never had people buy me dinner in nice restaurants. Like, all these things were happening. And, um, 
and then it was gone, you know? Mm. And then when it's gone, you're kind of like in this space where people are like, well, is he going to bounce back? (laughs) Is he going to sign another deal? Like what's going to happen? I feel like that happens a lot with artists, you know, because they sort of get released or they get let go or dropped or they ask to get, you know, off the label. And then there's like this period where you're kind of waiting to see what they're going to do and what's going to happen. I felt like I was in that period for a while. I was making songs. I had become friends with people. So I was playing music for people. I was going into offices, but it was not, it just still wasn't right. You know, I still was in the space where I just, you know, I was craving being back in it as opposed to like I lost a little bit of why I was doing it, Mm. you know, because it's like when you get in that pattern of being, and it happens to so many people, you know, I have friends that have, you know, they, they've had a script that um, gets bought or a a teleplay that gets optioned or you get signed, whatever it is. And and it doesn't happen right away. You start to try to make the work fit into whatever peg hole it's got to fit into. So the gatekeepers will open the gate for you. Yeah. Because at that point you're just sort of seeing people pass you by and you're just like, wait, I want to be there. And you're thinking everybody's looking at you like what's going on. Right. And then you start to think, about how people are perceiving you. And so you start and that's to a deadly game, you start bro. to become a person that you want to be perceived instead of being your true and authentic Absolutely. self. Absolutely. And um, <sighs> and I think well, Hold on, moment of silence <laughs> for that point. And we back. And I think and I think for me, you know, I was uh, I've always said, you know, I'm I'm like a character, I have an interesting story. You know, at that point I was starting to dress crazy like how I always have. I was doing, you know, I was just didn't care. I was what was your inspiration for that though? Because like people don't just dress crazy to dress crazy. I and just you like, also have like, look, I feel like looking at your progression. Yep. Even as a as a being and even as a uh, you know your canvas on your body, yep. if you will, right? It, it's become more refined. But a lot of people aren't comfortable going there, wherever there is, with right. their own sensibilities, right? Like I'll be tropical, topical, but somebody right. may look at the shirt and be like, I don't know if I can put that on. Even looking back at, at at just seeing you, even I don't know when the fuck the time frame was. It may have been like six, seven years ago, whatever. But you've always been on that path of identity and like being very eclectic with it. Right. How how was that for you in, in that period? Like what allowed you to find the confidence in that to be able to be like, well, this is me and I'm figuring that out. Well, f- aesthetic um, and craft. You yeah, know what I'm saying? for sure. No, I I um. I get it. Um, for me, in that in that period, I call that like my early twenties period. Uh. I I had um I was a, I was I was sort of ashamed of uh, who I was as a teenager and a kid. Why well, is that? I, I just I never would tell my full story. I would always kind of leave a lot of stuff out because I wasn't um. I didn't feel like it would be. I felt like it'd be frowned upon if people knew where I come, where I had come from. Yeah, knew like how I grew up and um, and how I was raised and just getting in trouble and all these kind of things. And so I, I started to develop a kind of you know a, a subconscious shame of it. Wow. Um, and I didn't want to share it. I didn't want people to know about it. I um, I felt like people would not take me seriously if they knew about it. If they knew. I didn't really know how to make music all the way knew that I was this kid that was, you know, just locked up. It was a self-worth issue. I didn't feel like I was worthy to be in the room. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and so, so I, I think my eclectic dressing and all that, like I dyed my hair red at one point, like I just would dress crazy. I was trying to get as far away from the kid that would be identified with the kid that grew up in 
east side of Los Angeles yeah. as possible. Yeah. And I felt like if I went more to like become David Bowie or Iggy Pop or one of these crazy dudes, yeah. you would never think I came from there. Yeah. And it was almost like, again, like doing the magic trick of making you look the other way. Yeah. And so I, I started to do that um, because I didn't want people to ask me questions about, I wanted them to just make <sighs> assumptions of like, oh man, you must have come from a super artistic middle-class family you know, from wherever, you know, You're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, you know, I just, yeah, wouldn't I, even, I just wouldn't even say, you know, and, um, it was not that I was ashamed of my family or anything. I was just kind of like ashamed of who I was. And I was trying to be, you know, I was trying to like really believe in God all the way. And, and so I think sometimes, sometimes what people do is when you're on this extreme, and you change it, you go to the other extreme mm, yeah. and you don't ever accept where you came from. Mm. You know, you see it a lot with, I don't, I see it a lot with people that come from addiction or come from that world and they get involved with religion or something. They just go all the way oh, to where yeah. they won't shut up about it. And that's yeah. all they talk about. And they change their life to the point where it just feels like now they're at the opposite. It's another end, addiction. And they're not, they're being extreme with that. And I felt like I did that a little bit, even with the music and what I was doing because I was shying away from my past. And I remember at that time, you know, I kind of skimmed over it, but I when saying that the music was not there, a comment I would get too about my music is people always felt like it was missing something. They would always say, man, you're so good and so interesting, but it just always feels like you're missing something. Like, Ooh. I don't know what it is. And I would just be like, I don't know what it is either. And I didn't really know what it was, um, but it was missing that piece of me of, of my my youth of who I was because I, um, I didn't want people to know about it. I didn't want people to know anything about my youth. And, and even as a teenager at points, I would lie about, you know, when people would ask me, you know, questions about, you know, Oh, do you know, you grew up over there, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you get any trouble or whatever? I'd be like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, no, you know, I just, cause it was uncomfortable for, for me to talk about, you know? Um, and I, I this is a weird thing, I guess, but, I just wanted people to take me serious. And I yeah, just felt yeah, like that yeah. made me not be taken seriously. You know, if people knew that I was just a screw up. Well, it's interesting with music too, and, and lyrics and who you are. It, when you finally do accept that, it makes everything become way more authentic. For sure. And it doesn't mean like you have to be like serious or you have to like now talk about real shit, quote unquote. But when you can like. Authentic to when you. you can, yeah, when you could actually be yourself. And I actually think it's a very common thing with like rappers or uh, singers, people that um, are front men. It's it's way easier to kind of put on like um, a front For and sure. be a character and say like, okay, I want this character to dress like this, talk about this and be perceived like that because all eyes are on you. But you're right. It is when you kind of can tap into yourself. Um, where the, that authenticity comes in and that, that definitely sounds like it was missing. And I think that, I mean, I think it's an issue for everybody, but I think for men, the self-worth issue is one of the biggest challenges and mm. issues <clears throat> that we have because yeah. I think as men, we define so much of our worth by our surroundings and by what we have yeah. and, you know, our status and who we are. And we don't ever really think about our self-worth issue as being, the, ex the experiences we've accumulated through our journey. Yeah. And that is what really creates worth. The worth is really created by what you have to offer people based on your journey. <laughs> and if you look at the journey you've been on and those experiences are what you have to contribute to the world, then your worth is like beyond anything anybody can imagine. 
if you determine your worth by your success and what you own and how hot your girl is and how high up your condo is or whatever it is, you're never really, you're never really in the room. You're, you're, not, you're always somewhere else thinking yeah. about yeah, yeah. And, and your worth will never be actualized because no. there's always somebody that's going to have something better something or better than you and and so for me i think i started to get to a place where once i got a taste of what was going on out here then i started to measure my own worth by that by mm. accolades by success by those things as opposed to knowing and understanding that no like god put you on this crazy journey and your worth is that taking that journey and actually sharing it with people because it's so unique and people need to hear that and people need to know that and need to understand that. And so I think, you know, I just, it happens. Like I ended up in a place where I just was a little bit upside down as priorities and what I was supposed to be doing. What were the first kind of steps into that? Like kind of physically, like when you make that neck, was it a a record that you made that you just kind of stripped down and was like, I'm going to talk about different content or was it how you dressed? Well, after um, this toiling around section of the autobiography, <laughs> the three the three chapters where there's like yeah. mis- mystery meetings and mystery yeah. music and yeah, like yeah. <laughs> trying to get put back on, um, my uh, my grandmother got really sick, uh-huh. and um, when she got sick, I um, everything stopped, and I basically um, just started to figure out how to take care of her. Mm. Um, so the music thing just became a pipe dream. And I was just like, I was kind of done with it. Mm. And um, and so I started taking care of her. And then I got into survival mode and just making sure, like, do whatever I have to do to make money, keep money coming in. Um, I was basically staying with her. Um, she was up and down for, you know, a good three years. And, um, and I, you know, that's like, it's like real life. It's no more like, I need to get a record deal. I need to do, yeah, you know, it's just, it doesn't become important. And, and, um, and I, so, you know, and I cut that part of my life off. I, I stopped talking to all those people. Mm. Um, I lost touch with everybody. And I just basically put, every, put all that stuff off into the, uh, <laughs> on the shelf and, and just focused on, on her as much as I could. And, um, and that, that changed my life drastically. What was that, what was that like for you? Because, um, because grandmother was such a like force in your life. I don't think I know what it. I don't think it was like anything of necessarily what was it like. It was just what I had to do, yeah. and and so I didn't How, ever. Then, I, I didn't ever even think about different it. Different question. How was that for you? Yeah, I, it's weird. It, it just it never really. I think at first it kind of it bummed me out a little bit because I because I. Um, Again, my ego mm. had kicked in, and my ego was like, "Man, you could do this. You can get back on. You know, you can get back on top." Blah blah. blah. But my heart was like, "No, like you gotta, you gotta. This is real life now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she took Did care you see of you." It coming and, to an end at this point. Yeah, was it was it? over. I was done with it. I was done. Like I was done trying that type of music. Yeah. Now I would just, I would be with her. I would be making ideas on my laptop sometimes for fun. Yeah. Now music was just a hobby. I would still draw. I would still paint. You know, but art was just what I did. They were your outlets. They were my outlets. Yeah. And then, um, and then you know, I got into a really heavy relationship while I was seeing my grandmother. That was another great outlet for me because I had somebody else yeah. and um. And that, you know, that was something that I was like, okay, cool. So I'll take care of my grandmother. I'll uh, I'll marry, probably marry this girl, and uh, 
and I'll just get a job at some point. Like picket fence? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about white. I mean, I knew I was always going to paint. I was always going to make music, but I was just like, I I can figure out something else to do, you know, for now. You know what I mean? Sure. And I I think it's not that I gave up, you know, because some people will be like, well, you know, you always hear like, you can never give up. It wasn't I was giving up. It was just... It was happening. Like, yeah, I just needed, I just needed to, to, you know, survival mode. You know, I just needed to, to make sure that she was okay. And at that point in time, music was not paying me money. And, um, which is a very real fact. Yeah. It's a real fact. So you, you know, you can't just be a, an ass and just be like, I'm just going to follow my dream while you die, while you die. You know what I'm saying? It's just like there's responsibilities, also, right? And also have the ability to be creative and give yourself that time and energy too when you have this other huge, way more important thing going on. Yeah, I couldn't even really think about the music like that, you know. And um, and so anyway, so that that was for that period, and and then um, as my grandmother started to uh, deteriorate, which was really, you know, hard for me because she was my rock. I um went through a breakup. With this, um, with this girl, and then was that just coincidental? It, it, I was just not a like a happy person. Uh, So it was all around. So yeah, I don't, I don't blame her. Like I I think I was pretty, I was pretty crazy at that (laughs) at that point. And um, and then um, right before my uh, right before my grandma passed, you know, and I I talk about this a lot. She um, she said, "Mijo, go do your music now." And um and I didn't know I know I didn't know exactly oh, though I didn't know what that meant exactly um I thought she was just kind of saying it to me because she knew it was it brought me happiness and she was just like yeah you know you can go do your music now wow. and um and then she passed away and um and I was devastated and um I just I had nothing you know I just had nothing left it was just like I had no money um. I didn't really have a place to live. Um, and yeah, and so I just, I I started, um, I got into the laptop heavy and I started making music just to keep myself from from yeah. getting like super depressed. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like, and I didn't want to think about my reality because I was just like, man, reality sucks. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was, that was the moment where I felt like I um, had nothing, like my cup was empty. <sighs> There was no um, no ego left. There was no. I had nothing to show for. Mm-hmm. I hadn't real like I lost touch with all, most of my friends, and um, you know, or most of my friends just didn't want to be around me because I was you so, were in flux. I was just in a bad place as she got sicker and as I got broker, and and I was getting further away from what my initial dream had been, yeah. and and so it um, I just became not a not a a great person to be around, mm. and so at that point. You know, that was, I always say there was three times where I was really humbled. You know, that was the third time for me when I felt like I was really brought to my lowest point. I was brought to my knees. I had nothing left. I had nothing to show for. And I was, again, I, it was another point in my life where I was just like, why am I even alive? Oof. You know, and I and I remember praying. I got, you know, so depressed at one point. I remember vividly I prayed that God, if if I have just used up my tank and I just didn't accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish, I don't need to wake up in the morning. Wow. Like it's cool. But I like, I, it wasn't like I was upset. I like literally was just like, if that's, if 
If I, the tank's empty, like if I did what I was supposed to do and like there's nothing left for me to do here, I just don't need to be here anymore. Fuck. You know, and I was like, I was so cool with that. I was so cool with like I don't need to I don't need to wake up, you know? And um and I woke up and I was pissed, I remember. <laughs> I was like <laughs> I woke up and I was like I was like I was like <laughs> So there is something left in my tank. <laughs> yeah, because I was in, cause I was like I woke up and I was like so now I got to figure this shit out. <laughs> Wait, I thought I prayed to you, dog. Like, yeah. I wasn't supposed to wake up yeah. like this. Wait, so I got a full tank? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. You, I got a full, a full tank. Wait, you giving me like another mile, dog? Uh, what? what? But it was interesting because I woke, I remember I woke up and, um, and I was just like, really? Like, <laughs> like uh, I had, it was like the most intense prayer session and I just <laughs> knew that I was right. I thought you understood uh, me. But, it, but, <laughs> you know but now, you know, it's, it's, it's like, weird for me to talk about it right now because I don't even know who that person was. Mm. And it wasn't even that long ago. Like that's, that's not that long ago for me to think about a person that prayed to not wake up. I'm like, I don't even know, you know, I remember how it felt in that situation because it's just like not, you know, just all those things combined just break you like straight up, like heartbreak breaks you not having money breaks you not having money coming in breaks you. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a supreme like emptiness in a void, you know right. what I'm saying? And all of us reach it at a certain point. Maybe some of us don't, you know what I'm saying? But like that void, like when, when you have nothing left, then it, beca- then when you wake up, it becomes like, okay, well, how do I build it again? Right. Well, the good thing is because I was just so raw and so bare, you know, just my soul was just naked, mm. you know, that. I when I started writing songs, I was writing songs that I just thought nobody was ever gonna hear, and they were just songs for me. Mm. And the music I, I was making tracks and ideas, and they was like so left that I was like nobody's ever gonna hear this, and it's so emotional nobody's ever gonna want to hear this. And I remember I um. But you were still making it. I was making it because it was an outlet for me, and and mm. it was sort of all that I knew to do. Like I didn't know how to do anything else, you know. Yeah. And, I, and um. And I remember I had made, um, you know, these these three songs just about what was going on in my life. And um, I sent, you know, I, I kept in touch loosely with two people that I knew that still worked at blogs. And I hit them up just randomly. And I said, hey, I made a song. wonder if you guys would, you know, if you'd want to check it out. And they were like, yeah, send it. And I remember I sent this one particular song to them. And they both hit me back right away. And they were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, can we post it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, whatever. <laughs> so they posted the song, and the next thing I knew was like on all these blogs everywhere, like Ooh. getting posted. And I was like, that's, I was like, that's weird, you know. I was like, like I didn't think anybody would even like that song. Yeah. Did so you, did you kind of, did you care at that? Moment? I didn't care. You didn't even care. I didn't care because yeah. it was just, it was it, authentic. It yeah. was just yeah. so it's raw. Just like, it was just like I was like, that's cool. And you know, and I remember like people were were hitting me up couple people hit me like hey you know i'd love to do a track with you it was like that kind of stuff yeah so a couple things like that happened that were interesting and and then those two people hit me again like do you have another song and i was like yeah i've I've seen another song same thing they posted it up and then that song started to go all over the blogs and i was like that's weird (laughs) i was like you know i was like that's it's crazy how like honestly uh, it's like yeah people think it's just so calculated oh the storm was set up right and i was like oh whoa yeah, and I was like that. I was like, all right, and um, and so a couple of things happened like that, and like I um, 
and I was just like, wow, I just was, you know, I didn't really care, but I was just like, that's cool. Like, you know, that's, that's fun. And, and then I, I remember, um, uh, long story short, um, I was working, uh, one day I got connected with this guy who's a songwriter and he was like, wanted to hook up with me cause he had heard my songs. He wanted yeah. to work with me. So he was on the way to my house, um, where I was staying at the time. And, um, and when he got there, he's like, yo, it's so crazy. I was on my way over here and I was talking to my publisher on the phone and, um, she asked me who I was working with. And I told her that you, you don't know him. Like, no, you know, he's just an unknown. And she was like, no, oh, what's his name? And he said, uh, his name is Benny Cassette. And she's like, I'm trying to track him down. Wow. wow. Like where, like, how do I get in touch with him? And, um, and I was like, and he told me that and I was like. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Again. So, yeah. So yeah. we met and we hung out and like I played him, you know, just my little ideas I was working on. And he was like, man, these are so cool. And that was it. Nothing. We didn't really do anything. And then he hooked he hooked me up with this um, this woman that was an A&R at a publishing company. And she emailed me. And um, and I went and met with her just because I have nothing else to do, really. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember I played her all this um, all this music that I had and just all these ideas I was working on and just this is random stuff. Yeah. And I remember she like lifted me after I played all this music. She's like, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't get it." And I was like, "What don't you get?" She's like, "Nobody knows who you are, and like you're just making all this music." And I was just like, "I just make music for me. Like I don't really care. Like I don't know. I was, wasn't really. Try- I wasn't yeah. trying to be in the music business. Yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, over yeah. it. I was just making music. And um, and." She was like, you know, this is crazy. I have to introduce you to people. And I was like, whatever. You know, I, was like, I was like, all right, cool. But she was so, you know, she was so awesome. And like, she was coming from such a genuine place. And it wasn't like a lot of people like her were reaching out to me. There yeah. was other people hitting me, but yeah. she was the only person like in the music business that got in touch with me. Yeah. Maybe other people tried, but she was the one that actually like, like, so it felt more like, I was just meeting a kindred spirit mm, and mm. it was a nice feeling to just play music for somebody outside of myself and have them enjoy it. And, um, and so she was like, I got to introduce some people. You should, you know, come to this bowling party we're having on Friday night or whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. Whatever. Yeah. I didn't have nothing to do. <laughs> so I, uh, I love you. I love you. so I go to this bowling party with her and it's like all these songwriters, and yeah. all these people there and kind of felt a little bit of a pit in my stomach. You know, because I was just kind of like, oh, man, do I, you know, I don't know these people. Do I belong here? Who am I? Yeah, who am I? Like, uh, I, I'm not I'm not making music like that, yeah. you know? And um, and she took me around the room and was just introducing me to all these people and telling everybody, you know, Benny Cassette is amazing and da-da-da-da and just going on and on and on. And that was a nice, it was a nice feeling because yeah. I was just, you know, I got to be honest, like in my head, I was just kind of like, am I amazing? Yeah. You know, I was like, that's cool. Like, that's cool for somebody to think that I'm like that good, you yeah. know? And then she um, brought me over to this guy. And as we were walking up to him, she like whispered in my ear, I'm going to introduce you to Ricky. He's the guy that put Hit Boy on. Wow. And he's, and, um, and he's also Kanye's cousin. Yeah. And I was like, cool. So I like meet Ricky and she's going on and on and ben, Benny's this and Benny's that. And he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's the greatest. And, Ricky, and, um, and this dude, Ricky, who I just met, is just shaking his head. And he's like, all right, cool. Let me get your number. And so I give him my number and he's like, I'll hit you in a couple of days. I was like, cool. Cool. So I remember. The theme I, uh, of this <laughs> section, y'all, is cool. Cool. I'm not doing shit. Cool. Well, because I just didn't like it. Dot, dot, dot. Cool. 
you know, you got to remember, you got to remember like the mindset I was in. Absolutely. And uh, my grandma had just passed like, you know, a few months earlier and, and, you know, I wasn't sharing this with people. Yeah. So nobody really knew what I was going through or were, what was happening with me. People just thought I was just some guy making music, yeah. you know, and, um, and I left that party that night thinking that I would never talk to any of those people again. You know, and I was just like, that wow. was cool. Like, felt like I was in the music business yeah. for a day. Yeah. And um, and so then literally two days later, I get a text from some random number. And it's like, hey, this is Ricky. You know, what are you doing this afternoon? And I'm like, nothing. Yeah. You know, oh, that's shit. In my head, dot, 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 trying to find a job. <laughs> 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 you know? And um, he's like, come, you know, come by the studio. So I go over to this, you know, he was over at Skis and I went over to Skis studio and um, played him like probably like two, maybe three hours. We just listened to all these random ideas I had, songs that I was making on my computer. And and um, and I remember clearly like when I was done, he was like, what are you trying to do, man? And I um, I just looked at him and I said, man, I was like, I really just want to beat Kanye. I was like, he's my musical idol. So if I can just tell myself one day that I'm better than him, then that's that's like great. <laughs> and he like laughed and um and, and uh, he laughed and, and and um I remember he he said, you know, you might be able to because you do so many different things. And I was like in my head, I was like, yeah, yeah, right, all right, yeah, all right, all right. hearty, har, har, har. And then um and then I and then he said, I'll hit you in a couple of days. So I left and I remember um in my car and um i had this um i had like this 94 3 series bmw was kind of beat up it was my grandma's and i had i didn't have a car so i was like i just you know she left me her car yeah which was like awesome because i had a car so i'm like driving in the 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 bmw the window doesn't work you know it was like all this cool stuff and i'm like like smiling in the car and i'm thinking to myself man that was cool to hear my songs on big speakers yeah i was like that sounded really good on big speakers you know what i mean and i was was like i'll never talk to that dude again but man i was like like, those songs sounded so cool in the studio man that was such a cool feeling and um and it's just like i just didn't think i was gonna ever hear from him again and um and then he um he called me two days later and he was like, um he's like, What are you doing on Monday? I was like, Nothing. <laughs> I was like, dot dot dot. I was like, trying to find a job. I was like, Well, actually, I I think it was dot 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 eating more top ramen. <laughs> and um and and he and he said, um he was like, Cool. He's like, Kanye wants to fly you to Paris and sign you. <laughs> And, um, All right, yo, podcast done. Right, <laughs> right, hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's been wonderful. <laughs> Benny, thank you so much. And, uh, <laughs> and um, what the fuck was? Why? Well, like, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because that's not one of those things that could be like, oh, cool. Well, no, it was what like was it was like, oh, cool, because like, because playing, because bro. I because I didn't think he was being serious. Yeah. I thought he was making a joke. Did you just hang up on him? Like, no, oh, work, oh, cool. and I was just he, like, he's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, well, because I didn't understand how that happened because I left him some music like I left him some of my songs, but there was no discussion of that whatsoever. Yeah. So it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I was like, huh? Wait, what? Like yeah. what? Like zero to He's like, yeah, he's like, I didn't tell you, but I um I sent, you know, a couple of your beats that you gave me and a couple of your songs and um and he hit me back an hour later and said he wants you to come to paris right away and i was like uh all right well maybe i believe you maybe i don't i'm not <laughs> really sure and he was like yeah he's like um i'll let you know the details 
So I hang up and then literally like two or three hours later, I get an email from yay. And then like an hour what after that, I get, that like, like, I get like my, um, my travel itinerary. <laughs> Wait, what's going through you your mind right now? I mean, I gotta be, I have to be honest. I, um, I still didn't really think any of it was going to like turn into anything. Uh. I mean, it was exciting because in my mind, I was like... I'm Hold on, but like, you just got an email from your musical idol. It, you just have to... I'm not saying it should have hit you any type of way. I'm just saying like... I think my mind was just on other things. Like, I, mm. I, I, thought, I know that sounds crazy, it but... It doesn't. It sounds but, um, real, bro. But I just, you know, I think most people would say like, they, I felt like I hit the jackpot or whatever. And I remember I, um, I called, um, you know, the, the A&R... Lady from Universal, will get she she comes back up in the story. I'm sure she uh, does. But uh, I called her and told her, and and she was a thousand times more excited than me. I and, uh, and she couldn't believe it. She was like, "Oh my god, you know, <laughs> are you serious? I, yeah. I want to be Kanye too." Like, like, I can't believe you're gonna be Kanye. Like, I I want to be Kanye. And she was so ex- she was so excited because you know she was the one that got me to Kanye. Yeah. You know, she was the one that like had introduced me to all these people. And um, but I you know it just hadn't hit me because I was still. I, I was still in mourning. I was still yeah. depressed. I was still reeling from a breakup. You know, yeah. I <coughs> you was were still just in flux. Again. Like life was still life. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That was cool that I got to. You know, was gonna go to um to Paris and meet Kanye. But like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like, you know, <coughs> um, I mean, I remember on the plane on the plane sitting next to Ricky. You know, I had a hundred and fifty dollars to my name. Mm. Like, like that was all the money that I had, period. And I remember on the plane sitting next to Ricky, I was like, I was like, man, yeah. So like, so like, what do you guys do for dinner usually? Like, what do you, <laughs> it's like, you know? And he was like, and he was like, he was like looking at me like, like I don't know, we just order food. Like, I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I was like, I was like, yeah. I was like, did they have breakfast at the hotel and stuff? And he was like, and, and then he, he's literally, he's literally budgeting like, and then like, and then like, and then right like finally he looks at me, and he, he looks at me, and he's like, he's like. I got you, bro. Like, I'll buy your food. Don't worry. You'll He's be the Yeah, he knew what was up. He's like, He's like I got yeah, you. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, don't worry about it. I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> like, all right, work. I was like, cool. Because like, I was basic literally means. thinking, I was like, I'm supposed to be in Paris for like two weeks. Like, how am I going <laughs> to, yeah. like, I was like, isn't Paris like super expensive? Like, what, <laughs> like, what am I going to eat there? You know what I'm saying? And, um, and I remember, so we, you know, we got to Paris and we like left our bags at the hotel and, and Ricky's like, all right, cool. We're going to go to Ye's house. And I was like, all right. And we um we get to Kanye's house and he answers the door and, and he like comes up to me and, and he like looks at me and and I had heard you know some of the horror stories of like how he hazes people and you know I he Ricky had told me you know on the plane a little bit you know don't get your hopes up like the first time we flew Hit Boy out like he left Hit Boy at the hotel for two weeks before he even invited him to the studio wow like all this crazy stuff like yeah. you know he doesn't let you in the room with him. And I remember we get there, and he opens the door to his flat. He had a he has a he has a really beautiful flat not far from the Eiffel Tower. And he opens the door and he walks up to me and he grabbed my hand. He said, "Thank you for coming." Wow. And I was like, "No problem." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, yeah, cool." cool. And um, <laughs> and um, and and then he's like, "Come on in." And then we walk in. And he has an amazing he had an amazing studio set up 
Um, there's like really high ceilings, studio set up in the middle of the living room with these chairs and um in a half circle. And um and sitting in these chairs is uh no ID, um, eighty eight keys. Um Virgil was buzzing around in the back somewhere. Um Noah was there. Like all his inner circle yeah. of people that you just read about. You Donda. Hear, yeah, you hear their you hear their names and um and he tells me to take a seat and he's like sitting in the middle and Everybody's like, hey, what's up? What's up? Like, you know, I felt like first day of school. Yeah. Like, nobody knows me. I'm, I'm assuming Kanye didn't like make an announcement. Yeah. You what's know, going I just through your head at this point. I was just like, this is cool. You're just there. Yeah, I was just there. Like, I yeah. didn't. I was like, I don't know what's about to happen. Like, yeah. this is cool. Like, nothing. It didn't really dawn on me. Like, the, yeah. the, the weight of the situation hadn't really hit me yet. You mm. know, and um, and they're so green to it all. Yeah, and uh, and um, and my mind is still not really? all the way, yeah. all the way there yet. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. And he looked at me and um, he said, "Did you bring any beats with you?" And I was like, "Yeah, I brought I brought some, and I think I had like fourteen tracks total that I had brought. Usually, I, you know, I would just make beats for myself, yeah. And so I had like fourteen that I hadn't written to yet, yeah. So there were just nothing on them yet, yeah. So I was like, "All right, I'll play those." And um, and then he was like, "Can you play them?" And then it kind of hit me, and I was like, "Can I play them?" I was like in front of all these people. <laughs> yeah. And um like now? And the crazy Wait, thing Wait, I'm not just here to like hey, how are you? Yeah, no. Nah, and um and like dude, I'm obviously a huge No ID fan. Like I grew up listening to No ID. You know what I mean? Like Common and all that stuff yeah. that he did. Like I'm just like he's one of the greatest. Yeah. And 88 too, you know, and um and so when he told me when like when he said can you play him, I I remember in um I had this like really crazy sense of calm hit me and I just felt in that moment that my grandma had done all this. Wow. Like I just knew that um I just knew my grandma had like taken me there. <sighs> and it was a crazy feeling cuz I just felt her like sitting in the room with me. And it was like so awesome. This this was the definition of Miho go do your music. It, exactly. And it was just like the most overwhelming feeling because I just was like, you did this. Like, I just didn't even know. Like, yeah. it didn't even occur to me this whole time. And I was like, this is you, like, like doing all, like, pulling the puppets, you know, the little yeah. puppet strings. And, um, and I, you know, I always get worked up when I talk about this because yeah. I always takes me back to that feeling. Like, I, yeah. can, I never forget that feeling in that moment. And I remember I played Kanye, um, you know, in that room I played 14 and, and Kanye kept 12 of them. He was like, I want, he's like, I want to, he's like, I want that one. I want that one. He just took him. And then when I got done playing him, he was like, he's like, would you stay um, in Paris with me for a while and work on my new album with me? Oh. And I was like, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was like, yeah, cool. And, um, you know, and I just think that that for me, that moment for me was the moment when I was like, this is another one of those. God is just moving all the pieces and everything I have gone through is to get to this moment right here. And this moment right here has just confirmed to me that the dream never left. Mm. Like I always was living my dream. I just had to go through this crazy journey in order to fulfill it. And it was like, almost wanted to slap myself in the face because I just almost was like, I don't believe I never saw that. Like, I don't believe that I never like put it together that this was what this was all for and um 
And so then it all clicked. It all, everything came together. And, you know, I spent the next part of, good, good part of that year, you know, working with with Kanye on that album. And, um, and, and when I came back to L.A., it was like everybody wanted to, meet me everybody wanted to know me everybody what, what wanted was to. that pro like fuck even process but what was that experience like like because the moment that the music came and 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 he said play me music and you you had that calm like from that mo point moving forward there had to be just that sense of calm and then now this is why we're here right and you stayed for a longer period what was that and i'm asking what that experience was like to be this was like a fucking, you could have never expected this experience. And you got thrown into the room and the process of one of your musical idols. Yep. Right? Could have never expected it, but you're here now. And you weren't like working on your music tirelessly at this point to where you finally got it. It was right. like, whoa, like we're here. Yep. What was that experience like? Actually being able to be intimate in the creative process, even as an observer at times, right? Even when it's ideas being thrown, but being somebody in the room that can be considered a confidant of sorts in that your opinion mattered to a degree. And what was that like? I think it was, um, I think it was, you know, obviously the timing couldn't have been better. Yeah. I think anytime you're in a room with a person like that, the precedent is set from the beginning. Yeah. And I think for me, because I was coming from a place and operating from a place <laughs> where, you know, this was all like just a Christmas gift for me. You know, this was almost like sort of just divinely happened. Yeah. That I I was excited and it was it was amazing, but I also I didn't care to the point where I was there to please anybody. Yeah. Because I was just like, you you know, even you know, like I love, I love Ye and, and he's transformed my career. But at the end of the day, he didn't really have anything to do with this. Yeah. This is like, for you me, did. this is all God and, and, and my grandmother. Yeah. He just happened to be like a catalyst for me. And your craft. Yeah. And so for me, you know, I feel like the good thing was I, um, I felt like I was unequal to him, you know, in that process. And when we, you know, worked but then I also feel like I was learning so much because I'd never been around that type of process yeah, before yeah. because I think he is. And you're around big hitters at that point. Yeah, and I think he is um, He is the Andy Warhol of our time. He Damn is right. the master curator. Yeah. Um, I think he is the best at putting people in rooms together that don't belong together mm. and being able to spark magic mm. through that process. And so for me... It was great because I had been in my headphones on my laptop for so long and was so used to just doing everything by myself yeah. that all of a sudden I'm forced to work with people that I don't even know and never met before and pass songs around. And like I would make a track and then it would just get passed on to somebody else and then they would add stuff. And then by the time it got back to me, I would like not even recognize some parts of it. Wow. You know, but it, it becomes this true collaboration. And I think. Again, this was like something that I feel like God knew that I needed to learn and to understand because I needed to really learn what collaboration was. And I needed to learn, you know, 
how That's a fucking crash course. I, I, yeah, I needed to learn like how to bring the people in, the killers, at what they do, yeah, and let them do their thing, mm. as opposed to like and be free with what it could become, and be free with what it could become, as opposed to like trying to do everything yourself, mm. because the ego says it's really awesome you do everything yourself, yeah, but the craft, me, me, the me, craft me, me. says no, this is like a collaborative thing, and so more now than ever, I feel like the lessons that I have learned by working with Kanye and just being around all um, the good music family has just taught me um, the idea of everybody has their, their talents and their specific things they're great at. And you just have to pull that out of them and put that on the canvas. So obviously, you know, it was a life changing experience, you know, being able to work in Paris and be out there and um, spend time with those guys and becoming, you know, good friends with a lot of those guys. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then eventually signing to good music as a producer. You know, those are um, things that changed my life because, you know, the other thing that you forget is like he still in 2017 is the greatest cosign you can probably get. Straight yeah. So, so no question. It, it gave me a confidence that I knew what I was doing and people couldn't really tell me anything. Yeah. So the I don't care kind of attitude I had, yeah. it went across the board in a good way yeah. because I just felt like, you know, I'm going to make the music that I make. And that's what got me here. Like I'm, I made music that was raw and unapologetic and it just was who I was. And I'm not going to shy away from my story. I'm not going to shy away from who I was. I know I belong in this room and I'm worthy to be in this room and I'm going to make that type of music like it or not. And you can't tell me anything about it. And I think that precedent that I set, with myself and with this this phase of the journey has been like my greatest asset and my greatest tool because you know I just don't really li- I don't listen to to people in that way <clears throat> I invite constructive criticism yeah. I invite ideas but um but I know what I'm doing is important and I know what I'm doing is great and I have confidence in that and so I don't um you know for me I'm a, I operate from a place where you're going to like the music I'm going to play before I, I even press play mm. because the energy that I'm, the energy that I'm coming with is just, I know that this music gives me goosebumps. So it's going to give you goosebumps. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, that's how I operate, you know, and mm. that's something that I've seen, you know, a lot of the greats, including Kanye do. I think he's the master. At, you know what the beauty is for me to that point is that those that get there though, is like, Five beats a day for, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, they put the work in. Right. Oh, yeah, no Everybody, question. This is the thing about this game is that so many people want the acclaim, right? But they don't understand the pain that it takes to get there. Nor, even on the flip side of that, they don't understand the pain that the acclaim brings. For sure. Right. And for somebody like you that, like, locks in, and to be able to have that confidence, that confidence isn't just ego because that confidence fades quickly. Right. Right. Once you're put into the sea where the sharks are. Yeah. Right. And one thing that I look at just as a fan and a, as a lover of the culture and and music and just the icons that, that I look up to is that you can't question Ye's work ethic. No. And for somebody like you that prides yourself on that work ethic, right? What was it like to see your idol at work? Because from what we all hear, that work ethic is tireless. 
right? And everybody around him, all the killers that he's able to bring into the room, they come in the room and they're working, right? So in order to be great, you have to be put in a position where you're constantly challenging yourself. And it's so beautiful to hear on your path that you went from just your isolation, right, to being challenged and challenging your idols all in one room, right? That, 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 that in and of itself, like, pushes work ethic to beyond. Well, I've been, I feel like, you know, um, <coughs> now at this point, I've been around um, enough of the quote-unquote icons yeah. and my people I'm fans of, and I've worked with enough of them now where the one thing that is consistent with, with all of them is the work ethic. Mm. Um, they all work around the clock, they're all obsessed. You know, I think people tell me a lot of times, like, man, you never stop. Like, you always are going. Your brain never stops. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've also, I'm not alone because I'm around the people who are on the level I'm on my way to. Yeah. That yeah. that are that are like just as bad as I am. Yeah. So I know that it's not crazy. Um, You know, and I think, yeah, yeah, definitely is his mind is always going. Like, it never it never stops. He's always continuing thinking, but that's, you know, that's everybody that I've worked with that I think is, is genius. You know, John Legend's like that. Miguel is like that. Yeah. Drake is like that. You know, these, all these people are on that same place where they're, cause you have to be, man, you have to be obsessed with it. If you're, and you have to be willing to go all the way if you're going right. to be prolific, you know, and, and it's not a choice. Like, I think that the people forget that, if you feel like you have to choose between being obsessed and working like crazy and having a normal life, then it's not for you yeah. because it's not a choice. You either are, or you aren't. Yeah. It's just, that's the type of, Damn right. that's the type of person, you, person you are. And so I think I meet a lot of people at this point that send me music or meet, you know, meetings to play me music. And, um, and the two things I always, uh, realize is, you know, I, I meet a lot of people and the music is, is bad. Um, but I never tell people their music is is bad if I think they have a great work ethic, Why because not? because my music was bad, and I had a great work ethic, and maybe one of them <laughs> is going to end up getting to the same spot that I'm in just because they got a great work ethic. Yeah, you know. So I never they push through if they work hard enough. They could push through, and I never discourage them. I give them constructive criticism, there and I'll is. say, "Oh man, you know, you should try this. You should try this. Yeah. But, you know." And then you like meet people where you could tell that they're just making music to make it and the work ethic is not there. Mm. And then I kind of say like, look, you got, <laughs> you got to work harder, you yeah. know, if you, if you really want this and you can tell, you can just, you can look at people and you can tell cause I think it's very crystal clear. It either is or it isn't. And there's a reason that Kanye, Beyonce, you know, Ed Sheeran, Justin Timberlake, you know, Drake, there's a reason these people sit where they sit. Yeah. And that's because they put in their 10 years. They put in their 15 years. They work tirelessly. They never stopped and they still don't stop. Yeah. Um, and that's like a, a great, you know, that's a great lesson for me to be around because, you know, as my um, career is, is, you know, this past year is, is going to the next level in the next place. Like I, at this point in my life, I'm working harder than I've ever worked. Yeah you know, ever. Um, but I get it. Like, I, I don't complain. I don't say, Oh my God, I'm so tired because it's like, no, of course this is what it is. 
You mean the freaking, you know, I always use the example that the path that the world is going right now, the world could literally end in a year with a couple bad decisions made by some very powerful people. The world could end. But you know what? Like it could be a song or an album or something that we create that can change the dynamic of the world like that yeah, and keep it going the other direction in a positive direction. And to me, like I work with that sense of, of purpose, you know, not in a corny way, not in like some kumbaya way, but I really think in those terms like like Sam Cooke did, like John Lennon did, like Marvin Gaye did, like, you know, like the people that made mu- like, you know, that made music in the sixties that took us from the brink of World War Three. Yeah. You know, and got us out of Vietnam. Yeah. That's that's music that did that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Straight and we up. forget that. We forget that, like, yeah, we could turn up all we want. There's a place for that and we could do all that. But there's also like a need for energetically for music and art to shift mm. the paradigm and shift the position that this world is leaning towards right now. Absolutely. And there's a responsibility. And there's a responsibility. Absolutely. And I think that it's a dangerous, it's a, you know, it's a slippery slope because you don't want to start to get in this place where you get preachy, but you yeah. want to be cognizant of it and understand as creators, we need to work tirelessly and ne- need to never forget that we have a responsibility with the art that we create to look at this world and say, okay, guys, like we got to like, yeah, you know, and if it's not in the music, then it's, you know, directly, then it's with the energy. And if it's not just the energy alone, then this is what you do in your everyday yeah. life, yeah. you know, out there, like talking about what you got to talk to talk about supporting who you have to support. Yeah. But I just feel like we live in a crazy time right now. And, we do. and, and it's one of the darkest times we've been in, but in dark times, it's always been art and music that yeah. has taken people out of the dark times. Yeah. Always. And the, always. And, and we look at the 60s, and I think the 60s is the best example, oh, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I just say all that to say that I think, for me, the tireless work ethic is because I feel that sense of responsibility, you know. And I know Kanye feels that sense of responsibility. Yeah. And I know Beyonce feels it. You yeah. know, and I know that there's certain artists that feel that right now. Yeah. And so their work ethic is about that. Mm. You know, and we forget that. And that, man, that's for everybody, man. That's for the kid in his bedroom right now making beats. That's for the person trying to get a deal. That's for a person trying to get put on. Like, if you go at it with the right intention, like, trust me, there's, you know, the universe works in mysterious ways. Absolutely. And you will be led to 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 great, great heights if yeah. you're operating from the right place and being your authentic self. Absolutely. You know, I mean, auth- and, authenticity is where it's at. Like, people always talk about originality. I just don't think it exists. From the standpoint of like nothing is original anymore, like, but certain things can be authentic because it's authentic to you. Yep. Yeah. How how do you, you know, one thing I want to say is because it from you it came from your authenticity that the that this whole chapter began from you just doing it for yourself. But how do you tell the difference, you know, or how do you tell somebody to be authentic, you know, with you know, there's so many people in music that kind of chase the sound. Or that see something happening and, and say, oh, I got to do it like that or I got to do it like that. I think there's a fine line of learning about what makes a song good and what's happening, where music is going. But also being authentic to that without being just like, fuck everything. I'm just going to do me right. and being ignorant to that. Where do you find that place to tell someone how to be authentic? Well, I think the... Um the key ingredient is you have to be an authentic human. Mm. <laughs> it's like, because 
music is just an art is just an extension of the person that's creating it mm. so if the person that's creating it is not you know being their true self then the work is not going to be true so i you know authenticity is really just based on where the person's soul is at, a person's spirit is at, who they are yeah and um you can't tell somebody be authentic you can just tell somebody like yo this i don't know are you being honest in the music yeah. you know because i think when you're trying to fit in and you're trying to sound like what's going on, like that will only take you so far, you know, but I think number one advice I always give people when they ask me, I was like, man, find what your sound is, find who you are and what you like, like what excites you. And it may not fit into what's going on, but it will find its place because right now that's what, that's what people are really always responding to. Yeah. I mean, I think it, cause I think it could be a very scary thing for people to do that to you know to find themselves and be honest with themselves on who they are i think there always is a little process that you have to go through and realize oh shit maybe what i've been doing or how i've been acting um isn't really who i am and i think there's a lot of kind of fear that builds up like oh if i do this you know to me it's true but is this going to be accepted right and i think you it's easily to you know it's easy to avoid that and just kind of do what is like the status quo and with you, it came at a place where you kind of just had no choice. Right. Um, but I think in, right, in two, you know, 2017, 2018, this is the easiest time ever yeah. to, to, to do things because there's no rules. Yeah, it like is a while. Any, anything can get played on the radio right yeah, now. Anything can blow up online. Genres is so gray right yeah. now. Like you, could, you really can do everything. So I just feel like if you're not trying to be quote-unquote original, then you're, you, you didn't get the memo. <laughs> You know that that For right real. that right now like there's no rules and there's really no genre in necessarily mm. you know especially with the way technology is going and streaming services so it's I, almost encouraged to take that risk to find out what your sound is I, yeah you have to because if you if you don't you know it's like I, I I say this analogy a lot at one point in the the early '60s the Beatles and the Monkeys oh were just as famous as each other. <laughs> the monkeys were actually even a little bit more famous at one point than the Beatles, right? Yeah. So now in history, when we look back, Fucking monkeys. nobody remembers the monkeys. No one. But yeah. everybody remembers the Beatles. Yeah. And the difference is one group basically kept pushing their originality mm-hmm. and pushing the agenda of breaking barriers and breaking rules. Yep. And the other group was just making music of the time. Yeah. And so you have to ask yourself in 10 or 20 years, am I going to be the monkeys or am I going to be the Beatles? And also a lot of people, <laughs> and I don't know too much about the monkeys. but <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Thank out, you for proving out, my shout point. Out to all y'all motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of people don't. <laughs> a lot of people also forget that the Beatles were playing strip clubs for fucking 12 to 16 hours a day. Yeah, they were flying to Germany and playing back for GIs. Oh, back, yeah. Well, yeah. Back, yep. back to back to back. That's how they learn their instruments. A lot of people don't like, like, to me, Tupac is, is the greatest rapper, in my opinion, and, and the greatest artist, right? Because of, you, I, I think about his impact, like, you didn't pass 25 and you did that. Right. Right. But so many people are caught up in this ego shit. But like people don't look back at Pac's career as short as it was. Right. 
and go, man, how can I take you seriously, dog? You fucking dance background for Digital Underground. You were over there fucking uh, plastic dolls. Right. But the artists that make it, in the end, and wherever make it is, know that there are things they have to do to get to where they want to go. For sure. And it's not always going to be glamorous or glorious or seen a type of way. For sure. But the ones that get there, right, are the ones that have conviction as to why they're doing it and what they're going to do to yeah, get it. absolutely, yeah. In, in, your, in your process, I want to talk to you more about, at this stage, you came on, you signed the good music as a producer. You've had the ability and, and, and strength to be able to work with so many different artists, songwriters, bands, producers. What's that collaborative process like for you now? And especially knowing that like, as time progresses, you just get more in tune with what you want, what you stand for. How is that for you now when you, when you collaborate? You know what I'm saying? Because you may hear music of people that you're like, yeah, keep going, all that. But you're also helping write and produce some of the most incredible music out. You know what I'm saying? This, it, it's wild to me the balance of like producer and writer and then artist, right? Because so many prolific writers want to be artists, right? right? Not every one of them get the shot at that. Right. And and a lot of them understand what what whatever the fuck is at may be to give them the shot or not. Right. right? But it's still creation and it's impact. How how has that been for you? And and I am talking about the background now. We'll get to the foreground. Right. Right. Which is where we're we're getting to. But how has that been in the background? It, the working <coughs> with these different creatives and collaborating and this like so many different types of music and genres and also having such a set canvas that you paint on and being able to like bring that in and challenge each other to grow. Well, with, um, for me, um, the process is a little different than most people. I would think, um, I never wanted to be a producer. Um, I always have just been an artist mm that knew how to produce his own stuff. And really it was um, my, you know, I had made beats for people, people taking tracks from me and saying over them and I'd helped them, whatever. But I never felt like I was truly a producer. And, you know, Kanye was the first one that kind of said to me, you should actually be like a producer and an artist as well. Mm. Like you should delve into the production thing. And, and I was like, why? And, you know, he was like, because you'll make money. <laughs> and and you'll and and it'll be an awesome way for you to to get in you know and it's kind of what he did you know it, it creates a lot of leverage and so i had to wrap my head around what that meant so for me i um can only produce another artist if it's a project that i wish was my project <laughs> so i only That's work with other artists that do something that i wish i could do so like wow <laughs> so, so like for instance um like i got a, a call over a year ago to go work with the band perry who sang one of my favorite songs which is if i die young <sighs> huge country hit <sighs> and um and i went and uh, met with them and you know like i always wished i could sing like that <laughs> i always wish really <laughs> i always wish that i could sing as good as kimberly and her you know her two brothers they yeah. do they do five-part harmonies on songs <laughs> 
and I can't do five part harmonies. I can do three part harmonies, but I don't need, you know, it's like, that's crazy to me. And so for me doing their album was a no brainer. Cause like, I wish that I could make that kind of music, <sighs> you know, um, obviously like Miguel, you know, who I've been friends with forever, but I wish I could sing like Miguel. So work, Shit, you know, working with him was a, was a no brainer, yeah. you know, for me, I, it's always like working with somebody that, it's like I wish I could do that, or I secretly, you know, I uh, like I recently did All American Rejects, oh, and I'm wow. like, and like Tyson, like he just has such a like an interesting way of writing and and singing, and like I can't do that, but like secretly, like I wish I could try that and do that. <laughs> I love that. So so I so I was able to work with them, but if it's ever an artist that I don't wish was my song, or I I wish it was my project, I can't work with them. So interesting. So the process for me and the collaborative uh, process with those people is always different because every time I go into the room, I create, you know, I call it church, but I create a church with different rules and objectives and boundaries. And we build that church and we figure out how we're going to accomplish this music that we're going to make inside this church. So like, um, for like, for Miguel, um, when we worked on the songs we worked on for the last album, our template was The Doors meets Dr. Dre, The Chronic. Oh, that's lit. And, um, and if you hear the music we made um, on that project, it, it feels like that. And it sounds like that because we're both L.A. guys. We both love that era of L.A., like that whiskey in the 60s and yeah. that early 2000s hip hop. And so then we created all these rules as we worked. Like there could only be this many sounds in the song. Really? We we can only use this type of bass, you know. And so it just became all these different things. And, you know, it's sort of similar to some of the stuff that I've done with Kanye where it's like we've told ourselves, okay, we can only put five things in the track, mm. you know, and we have to make each of those things be the exact perfect thing or else the balance will be thrown off. Yeah. And so it's just um, – it just depends on what it is because for me, every time I walk into a project, including my own album, there's a process that I establish. <clears throat> and once I know what the process is, I just fill in the blanks. You know? Um you're getting kind of like the painting style, like Yeah, you're getting there. you're getting the the painting style and you're you're figuring out what are the tools in order to accomplish that painting. And I've been blessed because over the pa- you know, the course of you know, the, the past two, three years, I've worked with so many um, amazing musicians and writers, and now I have my team. So now, you know, taking a page out of Ye's book, I have my inner circle that I work with. I have my crew that I work with. So every time I work on a project, I bring those guys in, mm. and that becomes, you know, that becomes a church band yeah. or whatever you want to call it. So. Like, those are my guys. And so every project I step into, you know, with the band, Band Perry, for instance, for them, you know, they wanted to create a project that had the the heart of what real Americana country music was, but they wanted it to bang like their favorite Kanye albums. That wow. was sort of what they came to me with. Word. And so for us, it was finding the balance of those great chords, but those knocking drums. Yeah. And so we had a palette that we had to make to make their album fulfill that, yeah. you know, and it's just different for every artist, you know, I'm working with, with, um, Kai right now that had that really big song with flume, um, and who's amazing voice, you know, and the song, she had that big record with Diplo as well. And for her, you know, she loves like Lauren Hill and, um, she loves like D'Angelo. Like she loves all these, these soul records. And I say, yeah, wouldn't it be interesting to hear a white girl with your type of voice 
to be on top of songs that had these really modern banging drums. But then we brought in my guys to create samples that made it feel like it was back then. Mm. So you say, yeah, I love that idea. I love the idea of taking that old flavor, but with modern rhythms and then my crazy voice. And so then all you got to do is fill in the blanks. Okay, who are the who are the guys that we're gonna create samples with? Who are the you know who is this person we're gonna do it? You know, and so then it becomes easy. Sure, painting. But you have to define the process first because a lot of producers now um, have become technicians. They become scientists, and so what happens is you're seeing a lot of music created in a factory as opposed to being created in a laboratory. Mm. And I only create in the laboratory because in the laboratory. There's amazing accidents that happen. Yes. There's uh, discovery that happens, and mm. there's a lot of uncomfortable uncomfortableness that happens. Yes. And for me, when I'm in the studio, for myself as an artist, with another artist, I want us all to be uncomfortable. Because when you're uncomfortable is when you do your best work. Yes. Because you're pushing yourself. You're standing at the edge of the cliff. You're kind of wavering in the wind. You're not jumping off, but you're afraid you might fall. So you're just doing this back and forth, and you're finding, like, a really sweet balance. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I never wanted to be one of these guys that could just work on everything, you know, just jump in the studio with anybody and make a hit record. I wanted to be the guy that like made a lot of records that were impactful and that created a new sound or pushed people or made you say, how the hell do they make that? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I feel like that's what I'm making right now, you know, um, and, and I'm working on stuff that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, um, yeah. this, this year it's been all, all over the map, you know, like, from the rejects to Kai to, you know, I'm doing Sierra right now. I mean, it's just, you know, we're getting back in with yay and it's just all, it's all over the place. And yeah, I, yeah. and I love that because it's made, it's made me a better artist. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's made me like get better at what I do because when I go in with other people, I learn from them Absolutely. because they're coming with their process too. You know what yes. I'm saying? They're coming with how they like to work. Yeah. And so they're stepping into my church, but they're coming with their own, you know, their own religion as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I get to learn from them, you know, what they like to do. That's you, so beautiful. You man. know what I'm saying? So I, and I just, you know, it's just my, 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 my brain just keeps getting bigger and bigger from uh, the amount of learning that I get to do with all these amazing artists that I work with and watching how they work, you know, going to Nashville all last year. It's just like, was such a learning experience for me, you know, um, and and just working with the amazing voices that what I get was to work that with. Like out there, Nashville's awesome. You know, the beautiful thing about Nashville <coughs> is like everybody just does what they do. It's kind of refreshing because in LA, everybody's like a writer that has an artist project, or <laughs> yeah. and like I fall into that too because I'm an artist that also produces, that also yeah. writes. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody you meet does fifty things. You go to Nashville and you walk in the studio and like. That's the banjo player. That's that's the guitar player. That's the engineer. That guy does lyrics. That guy, that lady does melodies. And, yeah. and, and they don't step outside of their, their box. And that's yeah. it. I mean, like, there's a guitar player out there. He plays a acoustic banjo mandolin. He's like, there's two guys in Nashville that are the go-to guys. They're incredible. So I use this guy all the time now. He plays on stuff like, I mean, no, I mean, he kills it. Every time I have him play on something... He kills it. I mean, he comes up with parts all the time. Like, he just comes up with crazy parts. Never has asked me to write with me. Never has said, man, if you ever need a co-writer for a session, never. He just yeah. comes in as a session guy, gets his check, and leaves. 
the other day I texted him. I was like, Ilya, I w- I'm coming out to Nashville probably next month to do some writing sessions. I would love for you to write in the sessions with us. Do he back? Amazing. I can't believe it. Yes, this is such great news. I can't <laughs> wait. And I was like, because it's like not in their mindset out there to to cross that little line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like when you invite- Over here, it's like, yo, like I did that part, oh right? Oh my God, like. Wait, you were, I was sitting in the that's, but that, but that's yeah, I was in the LA room. Too. Like everywhere you go, like you meet, like I, I met a girl the other day and, and I was like, oh, what do you do? And she's like, I'm a host. I'm a fitness model. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an actress. I sing. I write. I have a screenplay. And I was just like, "Really? I don't even know what to call you for." <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "I was like, you do everything." I'm like, a writer, uh, director, producer, yeah. actor, do all this, nutritionist, exactly, uh, botanist. <laughs> so I mean, it's just, it's Nashville is refreshing in that sense. Is like everybody's a, a killer at what they do. And, and, you, and you think about it, right? Is that country music? In that region, bro, and Nashville especially, like they're making hits, and their fans have bought in completely. Like country right. music oh, will yeah. never get will never get uh, flipped upside down by this digital world because right. their fans are still buying that music. For sure, yeah, it's a whole other industry. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But it, but it goes to show that like it's, it's like back in like the Motown days. It's like, bro, like. Everybody has their part, but they're so entrenched in it. It's mm. all about the music, right? For sure, right? But we and also songwriting, yeah, real deal songwriting. Yeah, because at the end of the day, music is emotion, right? And it's like we all like on the path. It's like I feel like, and and I'm gonna make a bold assumption. It's like artists like want to make timeless music, but there's no way to really dictate that other than just making great, authentic music to you. Timeless is, is, is seen by society, right? Timeless is, is defined by its impact. And no, like you can be in a studio and be like, this is going to be big, right? But it may be big for the moment or it may change lives. You'll never be able to know. Mm. Yeah, you don't know. You just, you just got to make what you make and let it become timeless on its own. Yeah. <clears throat> it's hard to shoot for time. You know, I, I, I say this quote all the time, but it's like, I re- uh, remember watching this interview with Quincy Jones, and he had made Off the Wall, mm. and Off the Wall had sold 14 million copies, and was in like came out of nowhere because yeah. everybody had written Michael Jackson off. They were like, he's a child star; he'll never come back. Off the Wall comes out, biggest <laughs> album of the year, Grammys, blah blah blah. And so they went. They asked Quincy in this interview. They were like, when you had to go in to make the album after Off the Wall. Like, you must have been thinking, like, how are we going to beat that? Like, what do you make after Off the Wall? Such a big, timeless album. And he said, I knew that if I just made songs that gave me goosebumps, there had to be at least a couple million other people in the world that would get goosebumps. Straight up. So he's like, that's all I did. I just made songs that gave me goosebumps. And he's like, and that's how we made Thriller. (laughs) Like, if we were in the studio and it gave us goosebumps, we were like, it's going on the album. Yeah. And he's like, and there's songs that didn't. Yeah, that didn't go on the album. You just gotta surprise yourself. Yeah. and I was Ugh. just like, that's just that, and that's kind of what I always say to like every time you know somebody looks at me like, do you think it's good? Do you think it's good? And I'm like, well, you're jumping around. You have goosebumps. And like, yeah. And I was like, then it's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? a great standard. No, you know and, what I'm saying. And, and, and only said person can believe that or not. Right? For sure. Because if you ask somebody like, did it give you goosebumps? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right. It it like the, the the thing that I love about uh, especially like Los Angeles is that. And I've been having a lot of conversations in, in this vein. It's like people tell me stuff, and I'm just like, okay. 
And it's like, no, no okay. but like literally, then, then they're like, wait, I didn't get the response that I wanted. Wait, what do you mean? Okay. Right. And I'm like, do you believe that? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't. Because it sounds different when you do. Right. And sometimes believing it isn't all like super positive. Right. Sometimes believing it is knowing that there's something missing, but like you're fighting for it. You know what I mean? But like we're in a day and age where like everybody has to like show themselves or or be worthy of something. It, it, it's beautiful to me to like throw the wrench in there and be like, bro, like at the end of the day, can you walk up to the mirror, right? And be as excited as you are talking to me based on how you think I'm going to react? That's on you. Absolutely. Mm. And Absolutely. when you throw it back on people, it becomes uncomfortable because sure. it's like, I know that a lot of people base things on how other people perceive it because I was that motherfucker too. And right. like we all fall into that, 100%. in and out of that, yeah. right? And it's like, it's normal. Right, but we we you, you you can't put up this front and like expect it like you have a fucking plastic bag as armor like right. what's that gonna stop? You know what I mean? But do you have armor on? Right. You know what I mean? It's like absolutely. It's it's all within, and it take and different people reach different points in their lives where they realize that, and some people never do. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we come to points where it's like authenticity. It's like look, like I'm not gonna give you the benefit of like giving you what you want when I don't get it, right? But if I do, it's because I felt something. Right. And you're making music because you want to feel something. You're making music because it gives you goosebumps. You're making music because it moves you. Right. So, in, in and especially when a creator gets to X point, it's like, if it moves you, a la Quincy, you know goddamn well it's going to move somebody else. Yeah. And I think that's, I think what people forget too is that when it moves you and you project that, people also feed off of energy. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, obviously Michael, Prince, these guys are my, some of my favorites. And the music is great. But there was also an energy around that music that preceded the music to the point where, like, you just bought into it all the way. It was a belief. Yeah, yeah it was. A, it was a, it's believing in something, you know. And I think a lot of what we forget with art is that, you know, you have to create an energy around music, especially now because there's so much of it. There's so much art, music, television, movies being thrown at us all the time. So it's important to create an energy around it that makes people feel that yeah. even as they listen to the music yeah. or li or watch the show or whatever it is, you know, because people feel motive now. People know, like, where you're coming from. You know, it's like Adele. You know, I, I um use her as an example because it's like, at the end of the day, the context and the story of how she created that music is almost more important than the music itself mm -hmm. because there's all these women around the world that know what it feels like to get your heart broken or get left for a girl that's prettier than you mm -hmm. or, you know, be left behind because you're, you know, or be looked down upon because you're, you're overweight or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? And Adele sings these songs. And so you listen to these songs because you know she's singing to the dude that broke her heart. Yeah, and so you when you hear it, you're like the story of why she wrote that song is almost bigger than the song itself. Yeah, you know, so you buy into this but, whole yeah. energy around the song. It's like I don't, you know, she has this this crazy voice and the music is great, but it's still the story of it is makes it even like bigger than what the music yeah. is. So it's, yeah, it's a reason that she's still selling 15 million straight up records because she's telling a story that so many people are like, I know that story. 
And you believe it. And you believe her. You believe her because she's been so vocal about yeah. what happened. You know, Absolutely. there's a face on it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Drake is another great example. Yeah. Like, you know, we have bought into the story of Drake. We bought into like his heart has been broken and he has all these exes everywhere that he wishes he could still be with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's true because we listen to the music and you're like, yeah, man, that that girl, that girl was the one. Damn, she was probably the one. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like almost like there's so much Drake music floating out there. You think to yourself, like, is it really the music anymore? Well, yeah, the music is good, but it's the story of it because we all know that story yes. over and over and over. Yes. We know that story. Yes. You know what I'm saying? For real. Speaking of that, how is it for you in that now you're starting to put your music out yep. more? Right. And you've got songs that you're releasing and, and, and pending projects that are coming and you have your new situation. Yep. Right. How is that for you? And how do you how do you see that? And what what do you want from that? Well, I mean, you know, my project falls in line with those stories, you know, those albums that have a story behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a little over a year ago while traveling, I started writing letters mm -hmm. to people um that I had lost touch with or felt like I wanted to say something to them but yeah. wouldn't necessarily be speaking to them. Mm. And um, I wrote a series of, of letters just while I travel to, you know, to kind of as a way to um, I usually draw when I travel. Like I take sketchbooks with me. But for some reason, I started writing letters because I just was like yearning for conversation with certain people. Yeah. And um, and, you know, not having my grandma around is, you know, she's somebody that I would call out to talk about stuff or. If you're in a relationship, you should call that person. Yeah. I'm not in a relationship and wasn't at that time. So I started writing these letters. And then um, when I got back to L.A. the first time, they gave me a, a month to finish some songs up for myself because we were like, oh, we're going to put an EP out. So let's finish some music. And um, just as a just to try it, I um, I sat down at the piano and then I started turning each letter into a song. Mm. Um, some of them like word for word. You know, because wow. some of the, lyrically, lyrically, yeah, some of the letters were written um, with some, with a rhythm to it, so I was able to just literally take the letter and turn it into a song. So this whole um, album that I'm doing, every song is based on one of the letters that <laughs> I wrote. Um, so I'm super excited because I feel like the project is, you know, it's like a three dimensional project. You know, I'm we're releasing it in a, in a new and interesting way. It's not going to be like a typical single goes a radio album comes out right after yeah um we're releasing you know each of these songs like i'm mailing a letter to somebody wow so every month a new song will come out oh wow and there will be a lot of video content and and different pieces of content that will come out around each song um and so it's like every month i'm mailing a new letter to somebody <laughs> so i'm excited because we've had this concept that we've been fleshing out for a minute i'm excited to um partner up with a company that is giving me all the resources that I need to put it out. And I'm just excited because, you know, like art is, is, uh, is energy and it's about keeping the energy flowing. So new ideas can come. So, when, you, so when you're, you know, when you have something you've been working on and, and perfecting and chiseling away at it, you just want to get it out. Yeah. So new stuff will come. Yeah. And that's how I view it. I, I just view all this music as, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's just like energy, you know, circling around us all the time. So I just want to get this music out. The first one will come out um, shortly. Um, and I'm excited to experiment with how we release it. You know, yeah. I'm excited with seeing what happens with releasing a song 
every month and uh, we're shooting all these really crazy videos about yeah. each song that tells us the story of my journey through los angeles um i'm excited about the team i have around me i'm excited about what we're building yeah and i just think this year for me has been a transitional year you know because i just feel like i'm becoming all those things that i always dreamed about as a 17 year old kid you know and you know wanting to have my own company and wanting to sign artists and develop artists wanting to put my project out in an interesting way wanting to work with other people that were willing to experiment with me other artists you know i just i'm doing all these things so it's just all feeding into this awesome energy around us right now yeah so i'm i couldn't be more excited to put music out man i couldn't be more excited I'm like, for you you know and every song is very different because every song is a different letter to a mm. different person you know the first song is kind of based around a, a piece of music and sample that's dedicated to my grandmother, you know, because my grandmother loved um, Latin music so mm. much. You know, she loved Julio Iglesias and she loved, <coughs> she loved cumbia and merengue. And um, so the first song is <coughs> a track that I did for her because I wanted to have one song that I thought she would like. Yeah. I was like, she probably that's won't incredible. like the rest of these songs. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Let's give but, one. But, the, but the one that has a little Spanish sample, yeah. you know, and the little, you know, yeah, the cumbia beat <laughs> straight she, up. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm just singing about you know getting away. Yeah. we're gonna get out of LA. We're gonna you know we're gonna travel the world. That's the one she would have liked. So it feels appropriate that that's the first song that we're releasing. Incredible. And we're shooting a video in uh, MacArthur Park tomorrow. Awesome. So it just all hits home for me, man. Yeah. You know, I just wanna I want people to feel like they're sitting in my in my living room and I'm just playing on my music. Yeah. And having a conversation with straight them. straight up. That's what I want my music to feel like. With that being said. If there's one thing that you could tell your grandmother now, what would it be? Well, I speak to her daily. Yeah. Because I say the same prayer for her every single day. Um, but if she was sitting at this table right now, I would say we did it. You know? Abuelita! <laughs> Grandmama! <laughs> we made it! Wow.